Hello everyone, and welcome to this Nintendo Life episode 219. My name is NBZ, uh, and I, I'm not drowning in nappies. That is something that I believe Bally is still doing to this current point in time, uh, and we wish him well as he swims through all of that. But uh, I am joined this time by someone else, another guest to the podcast, and refreshingly, uh, someone who lives also in the UK, a fellow Brit. Uh, I'm joined by Matt Lorigan, writer for Xbox Achievements, PS Trophies, and uh, contributor on the Video Gamer podcast. Matt, welcome to the show. Hello, I'm also not drowning in nappies, so that's yes, that's excellent. <laughs> it's a good place to be, you know. I wouldn't want to. Uh, I, I don't wish it upon most people, but you know, Bali can deal with it. You know, he's he's uh, he's got that uh, down, and I'm sure he'll be doing well with it. So yeah, I'm sure. Um, yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm thrilled thrilled to be here. Uh, been listening since sort of, I think since the Switch came out. Essentially, you know, no one was covering oh, Nintendo nice, okay. for a while, right? And then. Uh, Yes, except for us, yeah. <laughs> we're just trudging on through the Wii U eras, and uh, uh, not much going on there. But we still had a show, but um, but yeah, for for, for a while. Uh, and it's interesting, I guess, because you you write a lot about the other consoles, but uh, you're a big Nintendo fan as well, right? Yes, yeah, yeah. Like nothing quite gets me as excited as a Nintendo Direct. You know what I mean? Like you get an E3 yes. and stuff like that, but something about a Direct coming around, you're like, oh god, this, this has the potential to be really special. For sure, yeah. Um, that's I. Th- I always find that stuff like State of Play gets announced or Xbox do their their presentations. I'm like, yeah, I'll, I'll be interested to see what happens here. But there's nothing. It, do- it doesn't have the kind of same buzz to it. You know, it doesn't yeah. have the same kind of like uh, vibrating of the air. You know, as you're like, oh, oh god, anything yeah. could happen here uh, with a Nintendo Direct. I can't remember anything that hit like the Metroid Dread drop. Like that, dub, that yes. double whammy of like first 2D Metroid footage and then uh-huh. the name Dread, right? Like that was, yeah. that double whammy was absolutely insane. I, I really enjoyed like the PlayStation Xbox stuff, like Elden Ring getting shown off for the first time um, mm-hmm. at the, was it the game, not the Game Awards, the Summer Game Fest. I think it was Summer Game Fest, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's always exciting, but yeah, just, yeah, Nintendo, it's, it's been the consoles that I've sort of grown up playing the most and the franchises, they, they, they hook you in, their franchises, don't yeah. they? And then they don't Absolutely. make any in a franchise for 10 years, <laughs> yeah. and then they drop you one little morsel, and then you get all excited. That's that's how Nintendo works. Yeah, absolutely. Um, maybe just a, a quick question to start the show. Uh, what What is your favourite game, your favourite Nintendo game? Um, just to get a sense of like what stuff you, you really enjoy. I mean, the, the easy answer is Breath of the Wild, right? But Yes, of course. That's... <laughs> I mean, yeah, that hit in a in a very very special way. But I mean, I I, I love sort of um, the Donkey Kong Country games. I'm yeah. a big big fan of like that's one of the first like SNES games I remember playing on my my older sister. She had um, the Super Nintendo, and I vividly remember playing a lot of Donkey Kong Country. And the newer games are brilliant as well. Um, Elden Ring is up there <laughs> at the moment, mm-hmm. outside yeah. and climbing slowly. Um, oh. And a big sort of po- long time Pokemon fan as well. So I've got a lot of nice. love for like uh, Pokemon Platinum. That's when I really got into like competitive scene and EV yeah. training and all that sort of stuff for the first time. Um, yeah, a lot, lot of stuff. Um, God, I, yeah, I, I, that's that's the the wide view. But I mean, God, all, every bloody Mario game is fantastic. Yeah. And awesome. All of that. I can't, yeah, couldn't go into everything. But Breath of the Wild is probably sure. still up there in my head as being being the all-timer it's really funny right because i think that game somehow it's everyone's favorite game but also it, it feels like oh but it's everyone's favorite game but it's so good right like it is just so incredible that it, um, it is so good but i also can't remember exactly why it is so good which is a weird thing because the further we yeah. get away from that release the more i'm like well i know for a fact that i absolutely loved it 
But and every time I go back in and play, I've I not got that first experience again. Do you know what I mean? Like that. Yeah, it's, that... it's, it's the magic, right? Yeah. It's like the magic of discovery and, and all that thing uh, that, that that makes it kind of a, a special experience in people's minds. But um, yeah, uh, I'm I'm waiting to have that again when the sequel comes out. Uh, which I don't know. Maybe we'll talk about that. Got delayed. Um, but but that's a that's a whole interesting thing going on. Um, uh, the last thing I want to ask you is. Uh, uh, on on the video game podcast, they refer to you as Matt from upstairs. What's the what's the origin of Matt from upstairs? <laughs> so that is um, that was our offices before lockdown. <laughs> we were we were in a building where we had our main office upstairs, which is where we all sat with the computers and stuff like that. And then downstairs was the podcast recording room and like the video recording studio. Mm-hmm. And I used to come down again for like small segments. I wasn't there for the full the full pod so they'd be recording right. and then they'll be they would just say oh we'll go get matt from upstairs as in literally we'll go grab him from yeah. upstairs but now it's stuck <laughs> which i really really like yeah to the point where sure. i was like should i make that my twitter handle rather than like my actual yeah. full real name like <laughs> yeah it's fun i, I think that's a it's a good moniker uh it's a nice thing to carry with you uh, <laughs> and and you know like me you just carry that for the for the rest of your life right it just becomes uh the name that you get stuck to yeah and, the uh, man known as mbz and nothing else yeah exactly the man the myth legends <laughs> <laughs> um anyway so yeah we have uh, a lot of stuff to talk about on today's show uh lots of video games lots of stuff uh we are going to be obviously talking about what we've been playing at the start uh we'll get on to some of your emails you have sent in and then we're going to do a little bit of a chat about secrets in video games i think there's a couple of games released recently that have been uh, very secret focused uh, and maybe we just chat a little bit about uh, what that all means and and the different types of secrets and, and all that good stuff so uh, lots of things to dig into uh, but let's kick things off with the video games we've been playing um and Matt, I know you've also been playing Kirby in the Forgotten Land, uh, a game which I have now finished. Uh, I, I don't know where you are in it if you finished it as well. Um, but uh, but yeah, that that game's that game's pretty good, right? That game is pretty good, and I have also finished it, and I've done the post-game stuff as well. The only thing I haven't done is the third tournament. Okay, yeah, the Coliseum stuff, right? Yeah, but. Oh, yeah, I finished that, and that game is really, really good, actually. Because yeah. <laughs> I am not a massive Kirby fan. I don't know about you. Yeah, me neither. Like, I, I like the kind of spin-offs and stuff like that, but I've never I never gotten into a traditional, regular Kirby game that deeply. No, um, and it's really weird for me, because Kirby was always my main in Smash growing up, from, like, oh, the N64 okay. nice. game. So I've got yeah. this deep attachment to Kirby and all the things surrounding him, and also all of the stuff in Smash that I never realised was from Kirby. Like the parasol and all the weird right. stuff like that. Yeah, you can tell. Like Sakurai's involvement um, certainly had an influence, especially when you think about Brawl and the subspace emissary mode. Like a lot of that is yeah. basically a side-scrolling Kirby game in the way that it's designed and and all the items you have and all that sort of stuff. So um, there's a through line you can definitely see between those series. Exactly right. But I've never I've never massively got into the Kirby games. The closest I got was uh, Planet Robobot, and. I enjoyed that, and I played for, like, more hours than I would normally. But, yeah, Kirby and the Forgotten Land, it's the first one I've really, really fallen in love with. Like, it's it's up there now with one of my favourite games on the Switch. Like, I just think it's absolutely... It's not a perfect game by any stretch of the imagination, but I've just had such a a good time with it. Um, 
I, yeah, I don't know about you. Also, it's gorgeous, right? Like, yeah, it's 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 really pretty, and I think that increases as you get further into the game, right? Because I was, I think, about World Three last time that we checked in, and um, there's, I think, that's probably the the best part. Like, as you as you go on, is like seeing these new environments and the way they kind of twist things. Um, because I did personally, I I really love the game, but I think that like the back half of it gets a little bit not samey, but I I wish they had introduced a bit more um, of the fun stuff, right? So like i really like the evolutions to each power up and that's really cool because you get like three versions of each one and i think i maxed out every single one right you have to get the rare stones by doing all the challenge levels um and i think the only ones that i didn't get were the the addition to sleep or maybe sleep only has two evolutions maybe the crash one and the sleep one i think only have two yeah they Um, both only have two right um, uh, and i don't i didn't really find a i didn't find a use for sleep is there a use for sleep or is this just a joke in the kirby <laughs> series generally that you just like get it and it just uh you know puts him to sleep and then he loses it again i'm not sure well yeah i think sleep by itself is meant to be useless because there's one wait is this this game or another kirby game that i played i remember playing one level where there's a bunch of sleep things and the idea is that right. you can't suck them in otherwise you fall down off the level so I, yes. I think the idea tends to, is that you don't want to suck them in; they ruin it. But the sleep power, the sleep evolution, then powers you up. You take a big, big nap, and then you get like a boost to either your speed or your attack. So that oh, actually okay. does have a use. So that's one of the of all the ones to power up in the game. That's the one that you want to do because if you get one of those, like before a boss fight, yeah, you're able to. Um, yeah, you you take it. I mean, it's it's really funny. I mean. The animations in this game are really good. Like, there's a lot of love For sure. thrown yes. in there, right? And I love the fact that when you upgrade the sleep one, you suck in the sleepy guy, you get this big hat, and then you open up a bed, and then you just have to wait there for, like, 20 <laughs> seconds yeah. while he has a nap. But if you do wait it out, then, yeah, you get, a, you get like, an attack boost or a speed boost, those sort of things you normally have to pay for back at the the Waddle Dee village. Um, right, yeah. But, oh, yeah, other than that, it just, just seems to be a joke. <laughs> like, yeah, no, it, is. it really one. is. <laughs> I do think that, as you mentioned, like there's kind of a section where you have to avoid a bunch of them because if you get in contact or if you uh, suck one up, you'll just basically there's like falling blocks, and if yeah. you do that, then you'll just be screwed over. Um, so yeah, but they, it's an interesting way to use it as an obstacle. One of the fun ways in which I, I've seen enemies like that used, um, which is kind of a subtle way that they point to some of the objectives in the game. Um, so some of the objectives I, I find like okay, okay, you have to beat this enemy with this certain power up. You kind of don't know that going no. in and there's no real way to know um so it's a little bit of you know forcing you to go back through the level but there are some where ideally you know you would know how to do them but they're a bit more obscured so there's a little section where you can find this pool um this this hidden area and there's a sleeping enemy on the the lounger um and i kill that enemy and then I noticed that the enemy respawned again. Exactly. I'm like, what? There, there has to be a reason for that. Like, why is that happening? So I was like, okay, I wonder if this is an objective thing where I need to turn into the sleepy Kirby and then just sleep on the lounger. And hey ho, it turned out that was correct. And that was an objective that otherwise I would have had to get to the end of the level and the game would have revealed it to me. And in some senses, it wouldn't have been as interesting because then I'd be like, oh, I'll just go there and do that. Yeah. Um, but I, I like that they have that, like, it's a really subtle thing, just like having the enemy respawn before I left and i was like oh okay um it is it is the game kind of guiding you towards those objectives a little bit more and those are the ones i preferred more so than some of the other ones um that i think stopped me i don't know did you 100 percent the game was it no. something you went for all the wallabies okay i, st- I started in the first I, I don't know if you did the same in the first world i was like oh yeah i'll try and get you know every single one yes. every single level and in the first yep. few levels it's obvious every single one's obvious right you don't really right. miss yep. any of them 
mm-hmm. then the first one that I missed that I just went, oh, I had no idea that I was going to do that and I don't know how I would. I was like, okay, I'm not going to, you know, replay every level twice in a row because I'm going to burn out on this game quicker than I need to. Um, I did, last night I did start going through, so I've gone through the first three worlds and I've hoovered up all the worldies in those three. Okay, got but it. But I don't, yeah. I legitimately don't know if I'm going to keep doing that. It was, it, this was more yeah. of a, I, I haven't got anything else, I didn't have access to the TV, I had the Switch and I was like, oh yeah, I'll just, I'll play around a little bit, but but I, the, the thing is, the objectives are really fun. It's just, yeah, those ones are the, the least enjoyable because it is just a case of either you did it the first time round, right? You, you do something, you you kill a boss with using a certain weapon and it comes up being like, you did the right thing. And you're like, oh, okay, yes. real. Well done, mate. Yeah, exactly. Um, or, but but yeah. otherwise it is, is tricky, right? Because... Um, so I 100%ed the first three worlds straight out of the gate. I basically went through all the levels. Then before I moved on to the next world, I would go back and 100% everything. And that came to some of my frustration with the things of like, okay, well, I only needed one Waddle Dee in this area and it was the second one, but now I need to finish the rest of the level for it yeah. to count as me <laughs> having done it. Um, which, yeah, it's just a bugbear of mine personally. And, um, you know, I, I wish that they would kind of fix some of that stuff. But as yeah. I mentioned last time, I think part of it is there are certain challenges where, you know, don't step on the mud the whole level and, and, they can't you know confirm that until you have finished the level right um so they, they tie it up in some of those ways but i think the point at which i was like actually no i'm not gonna 100 percent it was there's a level on a big bridge like in the yes. snow yeah, yeah, yeah. and you're kind of going forwards and you're fighting like three bosses in a row and the last one you fight is the twin frost which there are two kind of polar bear guys who are attacking you and in order to get through uh, this objective, you have to beat them without taking a single hit. And this happens with some of the boss levels. And I think those generally are fine because you're just going straight to the boss and there's no kind of build up or anything. You're just kind of in the fight. Um, and, you know, if you take a hit, you're just like, okay, I'll just restart again and it's not too bad. The problem with this one is that this <laughs> boss fight happens like halfway through the level. Um, yeah. And there's, there's no easy way to reset it because if you reset it, you have to go fight the other bosses just to get back there. Um, so I ended up just like dying like three or four times losing 100 coins every time which is annoying because the coins are helpful for upgrading and everything um just so that i could reset at a checkpoint so i could then jump back in but also because the game even on wild mode is not that difficult um you don't take that much damage from them and you're flashing kind of like invincibility after being hit lost for a while so like just dying to them every time because i i kept going in getting hit like straight away out by accident and then i'm just like okay i just need to die now as i'm just sitting here <laughs> as they kill me slowly and um i decided like i, I just didn't i didn't do it i was like i'm just gonna leave this now i can't be bothered so like i i I think that they needed to be a little bit better about some of those objectives because you know that one in particular was just it was a pain point that kind of stopped me from 100%ing the game which um yeah uh, yeah not great that's exactly where i stopped as well but i i didn't get as far as you i saw it (laughs) yes and i went no no (laughs) just not doing that i just i saw that because i'd I'd already done like the like you say the boss ones where it's like don't get hit I found yes. those frustrating enough as it is. Just even just like the fact that there's not a restart level button, the fact I have to yeah. exit out into the world and then sort of jump back in, mm-hmm. and like I, it was the cheater one where I was really struggling. And it's all, it's the yeah. least fun way to fight them, as well is the problem that I it find. Is. Like I I end up using the 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 tracking bombs for basically all of them because it means oh, that I can just run away from everything, right? <laughs> and throw the bombs out and let the bombs do it. But it takes so much longer. And then when you do, if you do get hit during that, ah. Uh, 
Yeah, so like... Yeah, it, it's that tricky balance between like, okay, the patience of doing it, but then because you're spending longer on the boss fight, yeah. it means that you're more likely to get hit versus being a bit more aggressive going in. You'll do it faster, but you have a higher chance to get hit, right? Yeah. Um, in, a, in a small period of time. I, I tended to favor the fire a lot in this game. I think oh, part of good, it is yeah. because if you burn an enemy, they still keep taking damage. So like uh, Chloraline, the the cat, um, yeah. lion character that attacks you, um, jumps up onto the rafters at a point. And like if you have already done damage to her um she will still burn and like take a bit of damage even up she's up in the sky um and and yeah d- some of those fights definitely it's hard to not get like hit at least once you know by like a little chip damage or like a little thing that you didn't expect so um yeah i i agree on on that front it's it's i i did them for a while and i was like nah i just I, especially when the end of the game just gets pretty wild right like uh there's there's <laughs> yes. a lot of um boss fights and i i I felt like getting towards the the back half right there was the final area where i enjoyed it but i think it was at a point where i was kind of done with like all the powers and i'd seen them all all the mouthful mode stuff i'd also kind of got bored of or kind of tired of to an extent um and then you get to the end and i and i kind of like i feel like the end the very end of the game really brought it up in my estimation with some wild stuff that happens because i was kind of flagging a little bit i don't know how you felt by the end but i really wish there was just a bit more variety in terms of the mouthful abilities you get because it feels like maybe up to world three or four you've seen all of them and then they just kind of repeat them more but like with a little bit more complex scenarios but it's really yeah. fr- the mouthful mode stuff is really front-loaded is the thing right so you get to yes. see all of them in their simplest form by like yeah like you say about world three i think you get the water balloon one and i feel like that's the last one that you, right. you see yes. and um and yeah so that is very front-loaded and the same with the copy abilities right so you get you see all the copies abilities within a certain amount of time and then from then on you're getting the evolutions and the upgrades and they have a little bit of extra sort of utility depending on which one it is but mm-hmm. you've basically got all all of your tools by a certain point and i think i think it does a good job in terms of you know then pushing that forward so you get you get to a certain point right like the car race in sort of the uh the final worlds are a lot more complex or whatever malform right. you're using there's there's more to it and mm-hmm. it does sort of expand upon that I th- honestly i feel like if i'd maybe taken it a bit slower i would have had more fun like if i'd left it for a couple of days yeah. then come back but right. i think by the time i get to that you get to that last world you can tell it's the last world right and the sort of the the pace of how everything's going feels like it's escalating and you're like well i need to get yes. to the end of this but then like you say it goes bonkers it's and like it, this game has no story and then at the end it's like okay here's like it's near automata you oh know? god it's, it's like in, what what i mean is do, going we, on? do we want to talk spoilers at all or um you know what i'll, I'll put a timestamp. i'll put a timestamp in okay. so if you want to skip i'll give people let's give people like uh spoilers are coming clacks and clacks and sound there are spoilers <laughs> for the end of Kirby. if you're in your car right now listening to this podcast i'm giving you ample time right now as i'm talking right now to to skip um so yeah uh, uh i guess you fight god at the end of the game or some kind of like uh creature that is uh like genetically engineered um from elfin who's like or it's like the other it's like the alternate half of elfin your yeah. little friend character um, it's some sort of eldritch beast isn't it and it all goes it is very dragon ballsy as well <laughs> yeah for <laughs> sure amazing um, i absolutely love it 
I kind of expected a twist because as you're going up in the elevator at the end as Kirby and it's kind of rising to the top yeah. and you have the kind of tannoy speakers going and talking about this creature I'm like is this talking about Kirby as like this eldritch yeah. thing that's come and invaded this world I thought there was going to be that sort of twist on it that Kirby was going to walk out into this crowd of people um, and there's going to be some hero like facing down Kirby because K- Kirby's the real enemy um, <laughs> but uh, but I guess they, they kind of went the bit, the bit more traditional route with it but um, there is like there's a section where it turns into a bunch of goop and like chases you oh, down a horrifying. corridor um yeah especially as like a kid's game ostensibly what kirby is and especially like the kind of challenge that you get in that very final fight as well where it's like soaring through the sky and like dive bombing you and you almost have to use the move that i didn't really use the whole game which is if you're blocking and the then dodge, you use yeah. the analog stick you do bayonet a witch time to dodge out the way um i feel like a lot of kids are going to get to the end of this game and be like I need help, please. I don't. I can't beat this. 100%, you know? I'm curious how it is on Spring Breeze mode. To be honest, because like I, right. playing it on Wild mode, I was like, this is now difficult. Like this game has not been yes. difficult for you know five and a half worlds maybe and all of a sudden i'm in a fucking elden ring boss fight having to like <laughs> yeah. time my dodges perfectly I, I i didn't use it i literally only used the sword ability for like that final boss in the end because i was like nothing okay, else yeah. feels right like everything else just right. feels like i'm just like i've got one power and that's it whereas like at least like did you get the the meta knight upgrade for i the did yeah so sword. i think if you fight the coliseum the first time yeah you, you got a really good fight against meta knight actually that it's i enjoyed really good, quite yeah. a bit um and and definitely feels like you know if you wouldn't skipping the optional stuff in the hub town i'd recommend people go and, and do that because it's it gives you obviously that power up which you can't get otherwise um but uh, also if you're at full health it does the zelda thing of sword beams for being at full health which is really cool um obviously uh, in that fight particularly you get hit pretty quickly so it's hard to maintain that yeah. um, but it's still like a a more fun way especially because there are certain moves like you can dash and then jump and he will do the kind of almost meta knight saw through the air with his stab that combo is great like that was entirely what i was using for that boss fight the little like duck uh little knee slide jump up in the air and then this big like combo thing and uh and yeah that it really goes hard at the end like kirby just gets yeah it goes mental and then you got the the amazing sort of dragon ball z truck stuff right (laughs) yeah i was wondering like what is the mouthful mode thing going to be at the end of this game and no it's just a truck but you're trucking through space essentially across like debris that is falling (laughs) down as you like cannon yourself into this uh giant flying final fantasy final boss you know it really does feel like the end of a jrpg except you're kirby in a truck uh yeah you're you're kirby and you've got optimus prime in your mouth and you're absolutely flying at this giant you know god thing that's Uh going through the air Ah, oh, no, it's, it's it, yeah, I, I think I had a similar thing to you. I think I was maybe flagging a little bit by World mm-hmm. 6, but the, the final sort of boss section, that weird lore reveal that just seemed to come out of nowhere, like, yeah. it all really elevated the game for me. So that's my sort of defining memory of it and um have you done the have you done the sort of the post-game world yeah so yeah i I jumped into a little bit of the post-game stuff and um i for me it's just not really for me i think it's a lot of just remixing the levels that you've already gone through they add a bit of a -a collect-a-thon to it so you have to find these 50 things in all the levels and they're much much longer levels as well which makes i think playing through them again to like pick up collectibles you missed a little bit more frustrating though i believe you don't have to get every single one no you don't you don't kind of fill up a meter um, yeah um but but yeah it, it it 
to me was like okay cool i played through one of these uh it was pretty long there's a much harder version of that first boss fight at the end where yep. so i was like oh my god this is <laughs> kicking my ass like really really difficult so it feels like if you do want that challenge that the end of the game provides this is probably for people like that who want to go in and do the rest of it and yeah i've heard there's some story payoff but um I, I don't know too much about it there is and you get some you get a really good you get the final blueprint at the end there and that okay is, cool that is uh very good and then that i've that's what i've been using to do the the challenge run but yeah i just i think it is it has its issues but i think it's the best kirby game that i've played i think there's some mm. really clever design decisions in there because i think the thing about kirby games is they've always been around about sort of player choice in a sense right, right? you can beat the game with any copyability or no copyability right like totally the, yeah. the majority of the levels you can run through you can never pick up anything up you can fight the bosses just sucking up all the stars and that's how Kirby's always been. But yeah. I think mouthful mode is actually a really clever twist because it's not that is essential. Like and it means they can actually put some good level design in around something that you have to have. And that, mm-hmm. that's why why I've struggled with Kirby games in the past is because I, I sometimes I'm running through the levels and I'm like this level feels like it's designed for maybe a copyability maybe not but they can't they can't fully I don't have to. They, they, they des- don't know what you have, right? Yeah. Like they, because there's no, the design can't be intentional because yeah. of the ability you have to choose any approach, and all the weapons do damage, right? But they don't necessarily have like there are actually in this game interestingly some of the objectives force you of like oh you have to have the fire ability to light the torches so that you can unlock this right um well that's the thing yeah that's why i've enjoyed this game so much i think it's the combination of mouthful mode and the optional the optional objectives and the optional waddledees because those do require certain copy abilities and they require you to yeah. think about what you're doing so exactly yeah rather than just having these levels that you could just sort of run to and get to the end and be like did I do that right? Because that's what I've yeah. in previous Kirby games. I get to the end, I'm like, I f- didn't feel good doing that. Like, I think I had the wrong ability. I, I know what you mean. You, but also because he can float, right? It almost yeah. feels like you can just avoid everyone, just go through the level and be done. And I'm like, was that is that a video game? I don't know. I just yeah. kind of skipped everything. And um, yeah, that's that's a really good point. I think because the mouthful mode like adds these layers that you have to engage with and you have to think about things a bit more um, to to progress, right? Yeah. And, like, while I wasn't bothered about doing all the optional missions, I was absolutely on board with getting all of the waddledees that were, like, yes. hidden around the levels. And every mm. single one of those is, like, normally around some sort of copyability or some sort of mouthful mode. And it just yeah. gives this... Yeah, it makes it more intentional. It, ma- it makes the level design feel way more intentional, even if you could just, like... Because, like you say, when you go and replay a mission, right, you do end up just, like, flying through it. It doesn't mm-hmm. take more than like a couple of minutes to get through a level because you're just like, oh, yeah. I just need to get to this one section and you do just fly. But those levels took me ages because I was searching and I was making sure I had the right thing. And yeah, there's this level of intentionality to it that feels so much better than any Kirby game I've played before. And I think that's why this has clicked for me where yeah. other ones haven't. And I think it's, you know, it, it sales apparently. It seems to have sold better than most other Kirby games, especially in the, the UK at the very least, looking at the, the charts and stuff. Yeah, I mean, I wouldn't be surprised, right? It's it's the continuous story of every time a new franchise uh, or an old oh, franchise <laughs> gets a new entry on Switch. It's like, well, it's just going to default be the best-selling entry because that's just where we are right now. The Switch now, effect, you know? right? Uh, like... Exactly. Um, and but, but I think this is a little different because we have had Kirby games on Switch already. Um, and, you know, I think Star Allies did decently, but this, because it is taking it in a new direction, because it's being 3D and, and kind of mapping its path into... Uh, 
new territory um, and doing it really well uh, i think it's yeah. you know got a lot more people interested you know i don't buy kirby games generally and i bought this one because it was something different um so yeah, yeah. And I, I think so i think that the fact that I, it has this sort of level of game design that i really enjoy is maybe appreciate all the things that have always been in there in kirby like the absolutely like the love of the animation like the fact that if you complete a level or, or uh, unlock a waddle d if you've got full mouthful mode kirby does a different dance for that mouthful mode right like there's yes, so yeah. much love it feels like they cut no corners making this game i can't remember the last game i played where it really felt like there's so much stuff they didn't need to put in there like the um you know the little post office in town yes yeah and you go up to that and kirby pulls a ballpoint not a ballpoint pen yeah a ballpoint pen out of his pocket and goes to go write it down before the little uh keyboard comes up and i'm like they didn't need yes. to do that there's no yeah. <laughs> need for that at all and that there's so much that little like little bits of animation throughout the game that just they, it, it feels like they just had unlimited budget to just go we're going to make a big kirby game right and, and it just elevates it, it you yeah. know like sitting down at the fishing hole his little hat on you know yeah and he's fishing and getting the the giant fish oh my god those fish are big that also that the super big one that i had to get took a while to get that uh button prompt down i think like there's a certain button you have to press that is like almost immediate you have to know exactly what it is and if you're like even half a millisecond off it won't work but um did manage to get the big fish which was great um and you know you've got the little tilt and tumble thing which is fun yeah the gyro actually the first time since like one two switch where it feels like oh there's a ball rolling around here you know they actually are using hd rumble in the way they kind of first initially pitched it uh, yeah. when the switch was new you're right um, and the little um you know the little collectible like kinder egg inside things yes that you yes. get even when they open the little sort of like mm-hmm. feel of like the squeeze inside the yes. controllers oh, yeah it was the first time i've noticed hd rumble in absolutely ages yeah for sure um and yeah it's it's also in a weird way makes me annoyed that the smash on switch does not have trophies because it's like oh yeah kirby let's do some trophy opening and like gachapon <laughs> stuff and and then you just go to this little table where's this giant you're, i guess kirby's regular size but you're seeing him as a giant oh, yeah, just like staring at staring at his little trophies just smi- <laughs> a smile on his face um it's pretty amazing so yeah a lot of care and attention to detail i think just went into the game which is really nice to see and um yeah i really i want to see what they do next with this because i think they they built a great foundation uh, that they can do more interesting things from and, and i wonder you know where they go after it but, i'm um, curious if we'll get some dlc actually because like uh yeah it's missing like a, a meta knight mode which i now mm-hmm. know a lot of kirby games have so like oh interesting okay um, and i know star allies got a lot of extra dlc which people say make has made it a much better game since so i'd cool. like I, I i could go for a little bit of kirby dlc in like six months time like, that feels yeah, that feels sure. like it would it'd hit the spot quite nicely yeah add a couple more mouth modes in there you know yeah. i'll get back in uh see kirby is i don't know a toilet probably is what's next on the list who knows there's so many different things uh he could be but um literally anything right that's that's the- <laughs> yeah it's great um uh in any case, we have uh, also been playing some other Kirby games. I know you might have been playing a few more than me, but I uh, I decided to play Kirby's Dreamland because I heard that it was very short, and I was like, well, this is the original <laughs> Kirby game on Game Boy. It was before Kirby was pink, in fact. On the uh, box art in the US and Europe, I believe he is white, um, which is mainly because the Game Boy didn't have color at that point in time. It was original Game Boy, so you couldn't really tell that he was pink anyway, um, and I don't know if that was the intention or if that was like something that you know the distributors um, overseas just got as a mistake um but it's interesting nonetheless that the first kirby game is in in black and white and you don't really have that association to it but um this game is really fascinating because 
you don't have the traditional thing that we associate with kirby which is getting the copy abilities um he just floats and shoots out air from his mouth and kills enemies that way um, and you can also suck up enemies but you can't basically absorb what they have yeah and fascinatingly enough there are so like i was playing through this and i'm like man they really haven't changed much of the enemy lineup in kirby in these 30 odd years that this character has been around because you see poppy brothers jr you see the cutter guy you see like the floating um regular enemies and waddledees like they're all here the waddledee who does this little the spiral thing out of him the kind of electric spiral he's there as well like so many enemies including king ddd um are all there right from the beginning and it's really fascinating to see like oh there's the cutter enemy but i can't get the ability from him and yet he existed before that like it's it's such a weird thing that that's the funny thing right it's funny the enemies were there first and then they worked their way back and they were like so what does kirby do if he sucks up this enemy in future games like we're like not going to introduce new they obviously did introduce some new guys but they're not yeah they weren't like we're going to create an entire new cast and then work it out from there like for example something like a mario odyssey right like there's a few Mm -hmm. enemies that you can suck up from older games but the majority of those uh not copy abilities what are capture abilities right yeah capture abilities are new creatures but no with kirby they just went yeah suck up the cutter guy he'll do the cutter thing that'll work yeah Yeah. um which is is really interesting and and it changes your approach right because if you don't have those abilities um interestingly like makes the game a lot more i wouldn't say thoughtful but like no, you definitely does, have yeah. to um you definitely have to like approach it in a different way you know um and the idea of like waiting for bosses to do a move so that they spit out a star that you can then take up and then use that as a, a thing against them it actually was really nice because one of the bosses in forgotten land the the tree guy who you always fight in every game yeah. there's an objective to beat him without a copy ability and you know oftentimes he will sprout out these giant coconuts and you have to like suck those up and use those as projectiles and then also you know when he does an attack a bunch of stars drop and then you have to use the stars to hit him so um yeah that i think is a it's a nice kind of differential to the way you approach kirby games right because you can make that choice nowadays if you want to use copy abilities or if you just want to go the pure experience and just do it by using the boss's stuff against them um and this game just kind of forces you to do that from the offset right like you kind of just that's the only way you get through is waiting for them to attack and using their stuff against them and that's yeah that's yeah that's the weird thing about it right it's it's it does have a more deliberate every boss has a more deliberate design where you have to actually think yeah. about the patterns and stuff like that, rather than just like running up to the tree and hitting it with, with a sword as much as you yeah. can before it starts dropping apples like you can in like later kirby games is yes. that thing you're like okay i've got to avoid the attack then i've got to get the apple um and yeah I, I, for that reason i quite enjoyed it for all of the mm-hmm. you know 20 minutes half an hour that <laughs> yeah. the entire game consists of it's very short it's it's super short and um you know i, I have this uh handheld this kind of retro handheld i've been playing on and uh, it's great uh, for my commute a couple of days a week going in and like okay i'm just gonna play through kirby and you know that's a that's a couple of train journeys and the yeah. game is done <laughs> um which is kind of ideal you know um and and is i think the game almost it's so weird that the game feels padded even though it is like only half an hour to 40 minutes long yeah uh, the, at the end they're like oh just fight the four bosses again so uh you know in a row almost like a boss rush right before you fight ddd at the end um but you know i i enjoyed it for what it was and it is relatively easy still yeah um you know there's there was definitely like a lot of attention i had to pay to fighting the final boss but aside from that it was not too much uh of an investment from from me and i i think one of the interesting weird things about it from a control perspective is 
in order to float you have to press the up button to oh, start God, like yeah. puffing yeah, up yeah. air and then you can either press a to keep jumping or you can keep tapping up and it is this weird thing of like you can't just keep pressing a to like jump and then turn into a puffball you have to press up and then start pressing a to jump about so it's it's a, it's a little bit like confusing in some senses and i'm you know they refined that later on to the point where you just keep pressing the a button and you just keep floating but um yeah curious that obviously on the game boy you still have limited inputs but they still they somehow still, made yeah. <laughs> a way to make it a bit more complicated than it needed to be um which is which is curious but um uh, matt i know you've been playing some other kirby games as well as you kind of uh, have a bit of a renaissance with the series well yeah so i, I did the same as you i i downloaded um well, I, I downloaded kirby's dreamland on the 3ds virtual console oh got you yes i picked up uh kirby's dreamland 2 as well and then i so i nice. played dreamland then i played uh adventure on the nes online app right yes um and that's adventure adventure is such a sort of a step up from the first kirby's dreamland and that's you know the copy abilities have come in you've got the sort of the slide move and it's also the first time where the final boss goes in really hard again. It's funny. It was funny playing it after Forgotten Land and being like, "Oh no, they introduced this weird, scary final boss type situation in like the second Kirby game." It's, and it's actually interesting when you think about some of those Kirby games because, like Canvas Curse, which is probably my favorite aside from Forgotten Land, also has like an almost eldritch horror ending with a boss that is wild and strange. And uh, I, I, I've never thought like th- there's a boss in Smash Brothers from Kirby that you fight, like the big fly, fly guy yeah. with the eye. Yeah, and I don't think I've played a Kirby game where he's featured in, but he's just a weirdo too. Like there's a bunch <laughs> of weirdos uh, as final bosses in these games. Yeah. R- yeah, that's essentially it. It's very weird, and it, so it plays on. And it's funny how Adventure plays on the first Dreamland. You basically end up having the exact same final boss fight first, and then you get to the end, and it's like, oh, you completed the game, and then it does a credits of all the enemies you fight, and then it has like three question marks okay. underneath, like a, an outline of an enemy, and I, huh. and I was like, oh, okay, so I've not. I guess I've not finished the game. I had to Google how to find all the extra things to sort of fight this final boss right and um and then yeah so dreamland 2 does something similar and dreamland 2 introduces like the animal bodies and it is dreamland 2 that really made me think about what i like and what i don't like about kirby games because the first three worlds of dreamland 2 and it's compared to the first game boy game it's much more expanded but the first three worlds of uh, dreamland 2 each one is around one of the three animal bodies so the first one's all around the hamster one the second one's all about the owl and the third one's all around the fish and the level design is way more deliberate because of that like it's all designed around those three and then for the next three worlds suddenly they start giving you a choice about which animal you want uh okay and suddenly everything feels less deliberate and the level design doesn't feel as tight And and i was having less fun with it than i was before in like the early bits even though those early bits were easier levels it felt like you know when you do something you go that was what they intended this makes sense there's a little like satisfaction thing that just like unlocks in my head when that happens and it didn't have that for the later bits and that's what really got me thinking about forgotten land and the fact that like yeah the levels themselves aren't deliberate but it has so much thought about how you need to get all the extra secrets how you need to do all these bits and pieces Mm. and um so i did that and then i did uh kirby superstar but not the, the Super SNES Nintendo one. one? Yes, no? but not the SNES one. I played the DS one because the okay, DS sprites right. for Kirby are so nice. Yeah. I forgot how much I love DS sprite art. It's there's the real like nice chunky 
smoothness to it and it just looks mm-hmm. fantastic so played through that that's a weird game it's not a one game it's like eight games in one and i, I really it, yeah it, it has like the kind of great cave offensive and yeah. stuff like that did the ds version add stuff to the game or yeah. is it just like a port so it had it the main sort of six levels are in there which is one of the like the first one spring breeze which is where the name comes from i guess for ah, the, okay spring breeze is just a remake of kirby's dreamland on the game Boy. Huh. But with copy abilities added and like one oh, of the wow, bosses okay. removed, I think, for like no huh. apparent reason. So it's a sort That's of remake, weird. but they never advertise it. Really okay. weird, right? And then you go through the other ones and that yeah, I I quite like my platformers to be one game. I don't know this is a weird thing, but like every time I've tried to play Superstar, I just bounce off it because I'm like, what am I playing? Am I playing the right bit? Like, am I having yeah. fun? Um and then you get you get the final one, which is Marks, which is the weird Again, the, the ah, big yes. boss fight in uh, mm-hmm. Smash Ultimate. And that's in the final of the six games. And then you get two more. And one of them is also a remake of Dreamland. With this harder. <laughs> okay. Yeah, it's really, really bizarre. So I couldn't really work out. I, I played it. And again, didn't take me too long to finish. But I was a bit like, this This one is less for me. And then I yeah. started Dreamland 3 on SNES Online. Which never released in Europe, I don't think. Oh, so I'd like well, I've never huh. I've never really seen it, but it looks more like um, Yoshi's story. Right, like it's got yeah, the sort yeah, of yeah, pastel yeah. art style, and that I've sort of bounced okay. off a little bit because it has it's getting more to that like uh, there's more variety, more choice, and I'm sort of just like I'm going through, I'm just doing what you're saying, I'm just flying through levels and getting yeah. to the end and being like, well, okay then. Like <laughs> Dreamland Three, I so I was always thought that Dreamland Three was the one that introduced all the animal stuff, but I guess that's like slightly different. Does it? have any of that stuff in it it does it so it does have all the animal stuff yeah it just has oh, okay. double the amount and in every ah. single every single animal you get a choice between two different animals to pick from and right. again it just means that there's less intentional level design as far as i can yeah. tell so mm-hmm. I, I'm, I've, I've sat there and be like well it doesn't really matter which one i pick um yeah and yeah so yeah dreamland 3 i didn't enjoy as much as dreamland 2 i think dreamland 2 in terms of those early kirby games that and adventure I'd recommend playing both of those because I think they still okay, really cool. offer something. Uh, Dreamland 3, I started playing and I was like, I don't think I want to play this. So I think I'm going to jump straight to like uh, Triple Deluxe and Robobot on the 3DS yeah. and finally finish those off. <laughs> do, you, do you own them already or you, you need to get them before the 3DS shop closes down? <laughs> <laughs> I've got Robobot and I, I ordered Triple Deluxe because Triple Deluxe is a select, which is quite Yes, nice. it's much cheaper as well, yeah. which is good. I wouldn't. I, would, I literally wasn't going to pick it up and I saw that. I was like, you know what, 16 quid, I can, I can have yeah. that. I've also heard, so um, uh, someone was telling me that you should play Triple Deluxe before Robobot because Robobot is just so much better that you probably won't want to go back to Triple Deluxe Got after it. you've okay. played it. Um, so yeah, I'll probably do that. I'm definitely going to pick up both of those games before everything explodes and disappears forever. Um, I just <laughs> I need to set aside, I'm, I'm trying to set aside like 200 quid to just spend on the eShop and just get all the stuff that I want. But there's so much, there's so many games. And yeah. you know, some of them you can find still um, physical, but uh, stuff's just growing in price and uh i was very lucky to get a copy of fantasy life recently for like 15 quid which i oh, bought wow. as a steal that is good yeah 
exactly um so yeah i was i was chuffed to bits about that but there are still so many uh weird 3ds games out there that i want to get my hands on before everything disappears and yeah. gets very hard to acquire there's uh, virtual console stuff as well that i'm thinking about like um yeah wario land all those games that are on yeah like- i i have all the wario lands thankfully that was one of those series that i went through um a few years ago and uh, nice. yeah all of those are there as well except for the virtual boy one which i always was annoyed about that 3ds never got virtual boy support because it was the perfect system to do it don't, right don't don't get me started on that i'm still furious about it like yeah, just do yeah. it now they could do it now like I know, on, and it's not worth it to them but i would buy all of them so like exactly could, yeah yeah uh, and yeah that that warrior land game is supposed to be the best virtual boy game so i, I want to play it at some point um in a in a way that actually works like i think the only other way i can think of getting like a true to life version of that is playing it in vr yeah. right like having a vr version of warrior land which i'm sure someone's modded that to be honest i can probably find I mean, it somewhere but um if if they do if the next nintendo console is another switch and they go which higher, likely it will be yeah if, if they are higher on the resolution on the screen i can imagine them leaning more into vr or at least yeah. I'm just... I, but I, I don't actually want that for real games. I only want it for virtual <laughs> That's the problem. Yeah, exactly. Um, and, that, you know, they had Labo as well, which in many ways yeah. is a virtual boy adjacent thing. They could have uh, they could have whacked something in there, couldn't they? Yeah, totally. Um, but it does feel like one of those pieces of their history that they're just a bit embarrassed about. You know, they just don't really want to bring it up ever or even talk about it. Um Although I think the in Luigi's Mansion is it Luigi's Mansion three that they have a Virtual Boy thing going on? It's one of the Luigi's Mansion. It's one of them, isn't it? Yeah. Reference it, um, which I thought was interesting because I thought like they just never want to talk about it again. But I guess they're they're okay doing like the occasional nods. Sh- surely, uh, to surely it's long enough now. Like it, you can yes. be embarrassed about something, but be like, look, we sorted it out <laughs> with the Switch, right? Maybe yeah. that was it. Maybe during the Wii U era when things weren't going well. They were right, like, well, yeah. I don't want to remind them how badly we did before as well. Right, <laughs> exactly, like, yeah. We're, we're having our worst console since then. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, <laughs> not don't bring it front to mind. Um, but, yeah, hopefully that happens at some point. Um, cool. Uh, the next game we're going to chat about is one that isn't on Switch, but I think will probably come at some point um, and is, uh, is a very, very Nintendo-style game. Um, it's Tunic. Uh, Tunic is a kind of isometric Zelda-style game where you play as a fox. I think at one point it was it was uh, referred to lovingly as Zelda like a fox. Um, and <laughs> has been in development for probably like a decade, I want to say. Like, I remember hearing about this game years and years ago. Yeah. People talking about it, going to packs and playing it, and all that stuff. Um, and I'd always been curious about it. And I actually played the demo last year. Um, and I thought the demo was cool. But I think that demo didn't really give you a sense of what this game truly is. You know, it gave a sense, like, mechanically and visually, and, like, you're this little fox guy going around this world, and you're slicing bushes down, and I have to say, like... one of the things that annoys me about this game is that the bushes don't respawn because i love cutting them down so much you know the way in which like those kind of square bushes just bop and roll like there's a softness and like a comfiness to them that is so satisfying and so nice um the the fact that the game retains that in its memory of like oh no you've cut all these down now you can never cut them down again makes me irrationally annoyed uh which is a weird thing there's a hard limit on how many exactly. times you can do that at some point you have to start yeah. a new save file just to chop down bushes again like uh, totally i would do honestly i would i would take a whole game of just chopping down bushes because uh, that <laughs> system is so well done um but this game is this game is very interesting in a lot of senses because it basically tells you nothing uh, and a lot of the game is um written in a language that is not english and is not a other world language it's just a language made up for this game mm-hmm. um and so it is a mystery of a game and a lot of stuff happens where like 
you won't know how to upgrade your character or you won't know what an item does unless you like use this thing in the game that is a ostensibly an old game manual right like yeah. everyone used to get in boxes um that no one really does anymore and they don't exist anymore um but like that was the way i think a lot of people like played the early zelda games right was oh you go to the manual and you figure out stuff from there it tells you a lot about like what the items do and and where you're supposed to go and that type of thing um and this is a facsimile of that but one which is built with this idea of discovery and secrets in mind where it will teach you core game mechanics that you will not know otherwise about the game just by kind of like deducing from images and uh button prompts and things that it shows on the screen and it's really interesting. So I, at this point, I am, I think I want to say eight hours into the game, and okay. I've kind of got past the first section, which is getting the three kind of like orbs or whatever, the three like, you the know, the Zelda, you get the water one, the fire <laughs> one, the, the tri- it's the Triforce, yeah. of course, yeah. But they're all like elementals, and yeah. you bring them together, and then something happens, um, and I'm kind of in the midst of doing that part of the game. Um, and I think that there's going to be even more weird stuff that gets revealed as you go along. But, it um, feels like it, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I don't know where about you are in the game because you're also playing them out i literally just got the i've just put the three things into where okay. they need to go and that's it yes. that's as far as i've gotten and you um, know the interesting thing after you do that you have no idea what to do so you have to kind of like figure out what to do after that which took me a little while actually um, i got i literally got an achievement that was like what now <laughs> yeah <laughs> at that point it, yeah the game just goes yeah work it out for yourself but that it really is that kind of inverse thing right of like you play that in zelda and they're like right now the temple of time is open and you go back and you become the older link and all that sort of stuff but this game's like nah fuck you figure it out yeah <laughs> basically oh, it's, it's really fascinating that, that instruction manual thing though is really fascinating because it works two yes. ways you have gameplay mechanics that are completely accessible to you from the beginning of the game that mm-hmm. you won't Unless you get really lucky, you won't figure out that they're even a thing until you pick up the page of the instruction manual that tells you how to do it. Right, and And even the page at that point sometimes is hard to figure out what it's even trying to say. Because sometimes it will show you something and then it will say, oh, reference to page 24. And then you go to page 24 and you're like, okay, connect these two things together. Is this what the game's trying to tell me kind of thing? And alternatively, you get pages in the instruction manual that mean absolutely nothing to you when you're at a certain point in the game. And it will only be like an hour later that that instruction manual suddenly makes sense because you've gotten the item that it refers to. Right. So there's just this sense of like, whether you're getting the manual pieces or you're just sort of wandering around there's a sense that i don't think until i finish this game i'm going to have all the pieces together like yeah there's always something that's going to be a mystery to me and it's so cleverly designed and so well put out and it also really captures the feeling of old instruction manuals like the the little yeah pictures and animations and unnecessary things and i'm I'm absolutely certain, and I, I, I say this, I'm not certain, but in my mind, in my head canon, the developer who made this must have imported Japanese games when they were younger. Right. Because this entire yes. experience feels like trying to play a Japanese copy of the first Legend of Zelda with a Japanese manual that only occasionally uh-huh. has a couple of English words in there, right? It says HP, right, yeah. and you're like, oh, okay, I know what that is, but I lost yeah, exactly. that, and I'm working it out from the picture and ah oh, mp okay okay strength got it like it it feels like trying to play a game that's in another language with an instruction manual that's also in another language yeah but totally. just sort of piecing the bits together and it's so it the re it, it makes sense to me that it took so long to make because it's yeah. such a fine line to walk 
to be like I've never completely felt lost in this game until maybe the point where I'm at now. Right, yeah. But I've always got something and it's just this this really sort of asynchronous and asymmetrical design of things as well where like there's lots of maps in the instruction manual for different dungeons but like old sort of like Metroid manuals and old sort of Zelda manuals and things like that the maps aren't all designed the same way. Like, some of them are top-down. Some of these weird, like, isometric things. Like, it feels like you have, like, three different artists working on the instruction manual. Mm-hmm. And it just... It, it has this wonderful feel to it where you're like, well, this technically is a map, but it doesn't feel like opening up an in-game map, does it? It feels like you're opening an instruction manual. It's a stylized version as well. And it's it's super interesting because you'll enter an area and it will be like, okay, this is the frog's domain, right? Yeah. And you'll be like, oh, shit, I had a piece of that uh, yeah. <laughs> ages ago and so you quickly flip there and you see a little uh head of uh, your fox character on the map and it's like that actually keeps track of where your character is but you have to flip to that page in the manual to see where you are on on that part of the map which is um it's really really cool and it also like there are certain things like in those maps that show you oh there's this little cave with eyes in it um and often that will indicate something a specific thing uh that is constant throughout the game um or it will have like things linking together saying okay if you connect this and you connect this then this will happen um not to spoil anything but like there is a thing where if you are in front of one object and you're holding down a button for a certain period of time (laughs) like it really recalls like zelda 2 or like castlevania 2 where you are just in this random point castlevania 2 especially where you're like okay uh i'm just gonna be on this ledge and i'm just gonna hold down for like seven seconds and then this thing will appear right which was just so (laughs) esoteric and bullshit back in the day because like who the hell is ever gonna figure that out but this game feels like it takes that idea and it runs with it but makes it actually viable for people to understand you know yeah as opposed to like back then where you had to buy like a guide to know what the hell to do in castlevania 2 because it was just so out there in terms of uh the nonsense that it expected from the player this game feels like it was crafted to create that feeling of discovery but also give you the tools to understand how to do that stuff right yeah um which is fantastic and i think it's such a clever uh way of doing things oh it's really really clever i i i, I was wondering when i was playing i was like i wonder if early in development if they, you had access to the entire instruction manual at first because the idea of picking right. it up that seems to be such where the balance lies right like if you yes, just had totally. that entire manual from the beginning you'd sort of be able to do stuff it would work the same way but there'd be an overwhelming amount of information and mm-hmm. it'd be you'd struggle to tell what was relevant and what wasn't and it, the fact that it does dole out to you on the like this this slow basis and you get sometimes you get information that's slightly ahead of you Sometimes it's further behind. Sometimes on one page that you get, there'll be a bit of information you need now and a bit that you need later. And it's it's just this yeah, yeah this thought process that surrounds it. And it's so clever when you sometimes you get one page and you're like, okay, I know what this is. And then you get the so you get the like the right hand side, and then you get the left hand side like an hour later, and suddenly yeah. you get this bigger picture, and you're like, oh, oh, okay. And like yeah, mm-hmm. it's it's really really cleverly designed. And, and and one thing about the map itself is that it feels like it was owned by somebody because yeah. there are parts of this manual where you can see like a biro someone yeah. has like drawn on 
as if it was paper right like people would do back in the day make their own notations on manuals and like there's one page in particular where it's got a bunch of like stat stuff yeah and it's drawing like arrow up arrow down on this one like literally looks like a kid has taken a pen and just drawn this thing uh onto the manual itself um which is like it almost feels like you're getting a secondhand copy of something right where someone has owned yes. this thing and they've played it before and they figured stuff out for you and you're kind of like using their information almost secondhand to try and continue it feels like almost community driven in a really weird way for a single player game right um yeah where there's just discovery going on i'm curious and not to spoil anything but i'm curious if that's going to play into the story as well based on what yeah same here (laughs) i wonder if that's like even more intentional than it maybe seems like yeah i'm i'm really excited to keep going for sure um how have you felt about the combat in the game because i think that might be a little bit of a sticking point for certain people um, um it, it's definitely a challenging game and you can see it takes a little bit from souls with like the bonfires and uh the excess flasks and those types of things but also the kind of a bit more slow uh not slow i guess deliberate combat right where you have to be dodge rolling yeah and you you know one of my biggest bugbears in link to the past that i've talked about on the podcast a bunch is how short uh, the sword in sword is in that game and how it annoys me how like little <laughs> reach you have um and tunic kind of does a similar thing where your sword really doesn't have a lot of reach where you're kind of you really have to get up in an enemy's grill in order to do damage um and it can be tricky because by doing that you put yourself in a lot of danger um i don't know yeah how how have you found like the challenge of it and the the combat so far well yeah the the developers played dark souls and zelda haven't they like that's of course that's uh, that's where this is and there's i think right like those are the kind of core tenants here um and i i've the combat is probably I think the exploration and sort of like the the way the world buries its secrets is the most interesting part of it. The combat is is decent, and, and the more options you get as the game goes on, I think the more fun the combat becomes. Right, like it very right. in- intentionally like starts you off with just a stick, and yes. at that point, you know, like things are a little bit slow, and like yeah, like you said, there's not a lot of range on it, and it doesn't feel it's got the lock on and the shield from sort of Dark Souls, but. Mm-hmm. It doesn't feel as robust, and it has a dodge roll, but the dodge roll is really... It's more difficult to pull off than in most games, and it feels like an intentional choice, but I think I would be having just as much fun with this game if there were more invincibility frames in that dodge roll. Like, it feels right. yeah. quite harsh. And, like, so I, I imagine you would have done one of the, the boss that you get for the final bit of the Triforce. Again, yes, I won't spoil yeah. anything. But I found that really tricky, I found it so frustrating that I actually just decided I'm just going to turn on the no fail mode just to get through this because it was ultimately like I think I got it down to like its last quarter first or second time I fought it and then after that I just couldn't get anywhere with it and I didn't know why or what was going on and I was using all everything in my toolbox but I I always kept getting hit and like as you mentioned the frames for your dodge roll are really tricky Um, so I was like you know what this is not really the thing that I'm loving about this game it's fine and it's good and, and it works but ultimately i was like i just want to i want to see what's happening next i'm just gonna kill this guy be invincible whatever and i love the game lets you do that right yeah. it lets you kind of skirt by the combat if you need to see i now that you said that i remember that was an option what i did was i cheesed it <laughs> so oh okay you know, the, the gun um yeah does big damage but it uses mm-hmm. loads of your mana bar but i the item there's a reusable item that heals your mana right so i just kept using the gun 
essentially, and then eating the things. Now, see, this is the thing. You mentioned the gun, and I also uh, men- heard Giant Bomb mention the gun. I've not found a gun in this game, so I have <laughs> no idea that you know where that is or what where I get that or anything. And that's the kind of uh, magical thing about this experience is yeah. like I've totally missed that, and now I'm like, where do I go to get it? And it's clearly, because you already have it, and, and I'm a little bit further ahead of where you are, it's somewhere in the world, and I've just kind of missed that. Oh yeah, well, th- this is this is one of the most interesting areas. So you, obviously, to get to that boss, you have to go through the quarry area, right? Yes. Yeah. And did, did you find the map for that? Uh, I do. Yes, I have the yeah. map for the so quarry. So I, th- yeah. I think I think the gun is marked on that map. If I oh, remember interesting. Rightly. But I okay, came cool. from to the quarry from the wrong side. Ah. Okay. So for me, for and I, I got really stuck on it because the um, the shrine, like the bonfire area, wasn't mm-hmm. lit up for me. But because I'd come from the wrong direction. I didn't know how to turn it back on. But it's a secret... Like, I sh- basically, I found a secret path there. So I got there before I got to the second area. Yeah, right. That's the interesting thing. I actually also found that area really early on yeah. via a secret route um, that I don't think I was meant to find. Exactly. And died, <laughs> died there and thought, I'm way too early for this. So I went back. I ended up doing the second area first, got to the boss of the second area, decided I'm not powerful enough, found the first area, went and did that boss, <laughs> then teleported back to the second area boss straight after that and beat that boss straight after him. And then I went and did the so yeah. you know there's there are ways in which you can approach this game from totally different angles um and yes like the challenge is built in a way to where it makes more sense if you do it in a in an order that they kind of expect you to but um you don't have to necessarily yeah and like i said i got through the whole of the second area before even attempting the first area uh, and it was just when i got to the boss where i was like oh this is too powerful for me so i'm gonna <laughs> take some time and, and go do some other stuff in the meantime but um but yeah, I I still think like, as much as we're really enjoying this game, I still think that there are layers that we haven't seen yet that are probably going to expand that even further, and I'm really curious to to see how that happens. And, yeah, and me what too. They do with it because so. especially that that third area really starts to things start to go weird. Like I, I was yes. I was playing it, and yes. I was like, I can't believe I've played Kirby and then this. Like they they both yeah. have this thing where you get to a certain point in the game, you're like, wait, what? <laughs> like, There's there is a um, a factory line thing happening yes. where things. <laughs> Uh, are inside other things and i was like things are screaming uh holy shit is this what has been happening the entire game this is ridiculous and crazy and scary yeah um and uh yeah i'm i'm excited to find out what that if if the game even explains what that means i don't know yeah Um, but yeah because it it sets things up quite early because i I, I don't think this is for it happens in the first 10 minutes Mm -hmm. that you come across a chest in the game that has already been opened and yes. from then onwards, right, it just starts to, it it seems to be building upon something there, like right, yeah, it, it's toying with your expectations, um, and and constantly just like, I, I think the other part of this is like the isometric design is really interesting because on a more kind of like subtle secrets level, not like a macro secrets level, yeah. um, it is encouraging the player to kind of walk against every wall and every surface because there could be a corner you turn that you suddenly go behind something that you didn't realize was there and then at the end of that little section you have a treasure chest hidden yeah. and you're going to get something any war if you see a waterfall in this game go behind it yes. they reward you for that there is always <laughs> something behind a waterfall right um they, they i think they really understand uh secret design in that sense and i'm sure we'll talk about this later uh, in, in the latter part of the show but um i, I think that's kind of core to, to what makes tunic work uh, yeah and absolutely is, is really special so 
yeah looking forward to playing more of that uh the last thing i want to quickly check in with is a game called a memoir blue uh that came out recently it's a very short game from annapurna uh kind of in the vein of, of the types of games they make which is kind of narrative focused okay um uh, not very mechanics heavy uh, types of experiences uh, and this was on Game Pass it's also on Switch um, and I think it is uh, it's okay basically is what I'm going to say <laughs> I, mean, I think it's interesting to me from the perspective that uh, for a long time people have associated Annapurna with extremely high quality and every game they put out uh, is like a, a, an indie darling and a game of the year contender and all that sort of stuff and they still make games like that like I played The Artful Escape last year which I thought was phenomenal and yeah. absolutely adored that game um, and you know they've, they've put out stuff like Florence like some really excellent excellent games of, of that style and I think like we're starting to see now a bit more cracks in terms of like the type of stuff they're putting out um, there was Last Stop I think that came out last year that people weren't too hot on and a yeah. couple of other things um but a memoir blue i think also falls into that like ah it's kind of okay you know it's it's this story about this woman who she had uh like made a lot of success for herself in swimming like she's i think you kind of imply that she's like won the olympics or something and the start of the game is she's winning a lot of medals and then you have this moment she's sitting on her couch and she starts thinking about uh you know when she was younger with her mother and and the game is this kind of like exploration of that relationship um through a series of vignettes that are kind of built around this idea where she's underwater she kind of is very surrealist she kind of starts swimming underwater out of nowhere and then you kind of just go through these different parts of her life that are some a lot of the um previous stuff is sketched out in these 2d animation sequences that are really gorgeous like really well done and they they blend those nicely with like the 3d stuff but it also almost makes the 3d stuff look a little bit worse by comparison because the (laughs) the polygonal stuff is just not quite as nice and and delightful as as the 2d animation um but you like see her as a young girl with her mother and kind of like their life and what they did and where they lived and you know um it tells a a story that i think is just a bit too familiar without having anything too interesting going on with it like it's it's you could say it's emotional but it almost feels like it's an emotional from a level where uh, there's nothing nothing to draw you that you've not seen before you know um it 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 kind of yeah it's totally fine and i think it it does a good job visually and uh has some some nice music to it um but like from a mechanical standpoint you're very very kind of simply interacting with these things there's like a water glass you know like dragging pieces of ice to the bottom and it's like does that mean anything is there any symbolism going on here i don't know it just (laughs) it just feels like okay there's this uh this section where you're going to go on a boat and there are a bunch of planks floating in some kind of water section uh above you and you just kind of drag them down and they just form into a bridge and then you like go to the stage and you're like putting things on the stage and pulling things off and yeah it's 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 minimal um but i don't think i don't think the mechanics ever tie into the narrative and i think that's kind of the weakness here right because if you're going to do something like this you have to do like what florence did where you know there's a moment in florence that is really impactful where you know this relationship is breaking up and you're trying to put the pieces back together of this photo and they just keep floating apart and like that's such beautiful storytelling through the game mechanics and i think the unfortunate thing here is that the, you have the story and you have the mechanics and they don't really work in tandem with one another right so you never get one of those types of moments um but i think that you know it's only 45 minutes long and oh wow it, okay it, it's super it's extremely short right um so i would say if you have game pass just download it and play through and, and see what you think you might like it more than i did um but i think generally from what i've heard of people it's just it's kind of okay it's kind of fine it's, yeah. a, it's a nice like if you want to beat something in an evening 
it's there. Um, and I think it's relatively cheap on Switch as well. I've heard good things about the Switch version. So it's like five, six quid. So um, yeah, you can check it out there as well. Um, and yeah, a nice kind of evening uh, kind of in bed kind of game. But you know, if I was to recommend a, a more recent narrative game that I have played that me and Bally talked about is um, If Found. If Found is just an yes. excellent yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, narrative game that people should really check out. So, um, But yeah, that's a memoir blue. And uh, I don't know. <laughs> it's, it's, it's just one of those games where <laughs> I don't feel strongly about it in any direction. So it's almost hard to talk about because of that um uh, which is which is interesting but anyway that's going to close us out for the first part of the show don't go anywhere we'll be right back after this to take some of your emails see you in a bit Alrighty, folks, welcome back to the second part of today's show. We're doing emails. Uh, what a revelation, a, a true uh, innovation that we had. We decided, you know, no one else is doing them. We might as well uh, take some emails from people and answer questions that you have sent to us. And if you, dear listener at home, sitting there on your couch, comfy and enjoyable, in front of your telly, listening to this while your family watches something else in the background, as uh, <laughs> I am one to do often, uh, you can send your emails to thisnintendolife at gmail.com. That is thisnintendolife at gmail.com. And I have to ring the klaxon because... Uh, Valley hasn't been here to ring it for me uh, to say that we need more emails. We're running low, so get on out there, people. Send them into the show. Uh, we'd love to hear from you and love to hear what you have to say, uh, your comments, your thoughts, all that stuff. Of course, if you go to our Discord server, you can also uh, hop into the emails thread there and leave a comment or a question or whatever, uh, and we will take a look at it and potentially answer it on the show. Um, yeah. So, yeah. I've done uh, it. I recommend it. Absolutely, we have a testimonial here on, on the podcast, <laughs> Matt, who has previously sent an email into the show. Um, so, you know, was it was a good experience. Did you enjoy the experience of uh, sending an email, Matt? Yeah, it was nice, but it's, it's always yeah. nice when you agree with the, the thing, right? So I, I yeah, think I slagged off Maricot Tour when it first came out and you guys were like, yes. yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's shit, bad. yeah, <laughs> pretty much. So, um, uh, excellent. Well, let's jump into our first email. This is comes in from Justin from Pennsylvania, who says, Hi, hi. Uh, what are your thoughts on Yacht Club Games' new title, Mina the Hollower? Honestly, this might be my most hyped game next to Breath of the Wild 2. It looks like it takes the best of both worlds from the Zelda franchise. An emphasis on puzzles from Link, uh, titles like Link's Awakening, but with plenty of action and battle similar to what is seen in Link to the Past. I'm guessing MBZ was sold the moment he saw the whip used as a weapon. Uh, that is correct. Um, but I am <laughs> curious to know if it has more action than you would like to see. Graphics perfectly fit the Game Boy Color aesthetic. Though they explained it, it is questionable that Yacht Club is using Kickstarter again, but people will obviously support it, uh, and this might be my first Kickstarter contribution ever. Um, cheers, Justin from Pennsylvania. So yeah, I mean the Hollow. I don't think we actually talked about it on the show yet, um, but it's a really interesting one from my perspective because, to me, I almost had the expectation that what Yacht Club was going to do after Shovel Knight was go further in terms of like 
the scope of game they're making like a lot of people expect them to jump to n64 right like you did uh, an nes game and you know maybe super nintendo would be what they did next but it felt like they're a big enough company now they spent years and years of their lives making shovel knight additional content and stuff because of kickstarter promises you would have thought okay maybe they're at a point now they're a publisher in some senses now as well they publish cyber shadow they're publishing um, a bunch of like shovel knight spin-offs that other companies are making as well you would have thought oh it's going to be like a bigger 3d project and they have said they're working on two projects right so this isn't the only thing they're working on so i i assume that another one will be a bit of a bigger one but um i think a lot of reactions i saw from certain people were oh this is maybe a little bit disappointing from the fact that it's not as expansive or or as as kind of i don't know um ambitious as maybe some people expected from them that said i i love what they've made here right like it's it's what yeah. again they're they're inventing a wholly new character who you could have totally imagined existing back in the period of time and they're you know they're speaking to my personal taste of like i love handheld games right and i grew up with game boy stuff and making a game that is very Link's awakening inspired but also you can clearly see as they did with shovel knight having that very intentional design um that is modernized and is not held back by some of the issues that you have from older titles um it it really is it's like nothing else that people are making generally aside from like much smaller companies making games that are very you know they have to make them that scope because that's the only kind of scope they can make whereas i think yacht club because the resources they have they can make something like this but make it a little better in, in, in a few different ways with lots of interesting stuff but um yeah Matt, what, what are your thoughts on the game oh i'm so excited for it mate i'm i the moment i saw this i was absolutely in love like i i think Link's awakening is one of my favorite zelda games it's, it might be my favorite oh, 2D nice. zelda okay. game and that sort of game boy color aesthetic is fantastic but then they're pulling from you know they're pulling from castlevania uh they're pulling from bloodborne as well like these are the inspirations yeah. they've they've listed and i i castlevania isn't one of my favorite series but i love the Mm. aesthetic and the tone of that i absolutely adore bloodborne i love 2d zelda like i i honestly i hadn't heard too much from other people about this so i I didn't realize there was any sort of like disappointment Mm. because for me i this made perfect sense it was like nes you did nes and you did mario essentially you did your platformer moving on to an adventure game like this it just seems to make sense to me and yeah i i didn't see it coming so when i saw the announcement i was just like this looks fantastic. The music sounds fantastic. I love the sort of the gothic horror aesthetic. Like it's a great mm-hmm. one to go for. But they've not gone. But it's also got that cartoon niche. Like it's a yeah. it's a little mouse, isn't it, or like a rat right. or something. Like it's it's got a real charm to it to the point where you're like, you could look at it and go like, this could have been a Game Boy Color game. But yes. like you say, they're not restricted by the actual restrictions of the Game Boy Color, so they can build upon that. They can have like all these mechanics they wouldn't maybe be able to fit into the gbc and yeah i'm i'm absolutely yeah i'm so excited for this and it's a nice thing where you get you're getting more and more sort of zelda likes made these days right but i couldn't tell you the last sort of indie not that you know they're indie anymore but the last sort of indie zelda like that didn't also have some sort of dark souls influence as well like something from, from software 
<laughs> and, yeah, totally. and it works really well and like that this looks like it's going to have something similar and yeah i'm just I- ironically shovel knight almost had that before a lot of other games because it had the corpse run mechanic like uh, before that kind of just to- totally took over the indie scene so um yeah it is interesting you mentioned that because it doesn't seem as present in this game despite this one uh you you'd maybe expect it to be in this one right yeah um, and I, I, again we don't have all the sort of details yet there was a lot of gameplay shown but not a lot said about the gameplay from what i remember like again, I, again yeah so they they've actually shown so they revealed it on g4 the rebranded g4 which is now just like twitch streams and stuff yeah. like that and um they actually had a sit down kind of gameplay session uh, afterwards that i watched a bit of and yeah it's it's got really interesting stuff going on mechanically where you have this burrow idea where you can burrow under the ground and pop up and that creates some really interesting like mechanics where you can have puzzles built around that you can it it feels to me almost like a splatoon-esque thing where they're kind of blending two things in one um being able to like burrow to get places but also like use it as an attack when you burrow out of the ground you know multi-purpose in terms of its design which is always very smart and i like that a lot and you know very clearly cribbing from castlevania from an aesthetic standpoint obviously like design wise very zelda but you got the whip you have the axe which i think also acts in a similar way to how it does in castlevania throw um but like slightly different because it's from a top-down perspective and um yeah i i think it's interesting with the kickstarter um argument or like the the conversation about it because clearly they've been very successful uh and does it warrant it like does it make sense um one of the things i've kind of found like uh you know being in publishing and stuff like that is that there are a lot of indie developers who use kickstarter less so as a funding platform and more so as a marketing platform right like you use a kickstarter in order to generate buzz in order to get word of mouth because frankly um and this is the truth about it most kickstarters that you back that is not enough money for the person to finish the game yeah most people who yeah most people who make games and have a kickstarter they will also go to a publisher because you need way more money than most kickstarters make to actually make a game happen um and that's just the sad reality but you it's it's easier to get it's easier to get investment right once you've shown yes there's this many people willing to back it it's clearly a product that exactly have interest in you can go to an investor or a publisher and be like this is not a, you don't have like we're not starting from nothing we've got yes. some cash up front we just right. need a bit extra to to get it out there and exactly and but they've also said and this is what basically the issue around this is whether you want to take them at their word or not which is that mm-hmm. they said that it's less about the money and more about the community development in a similar right. way to shovel knight right where they were receiving yeah. feedback on the game while they, they'd give an update they'd receive feedback it would all sort of be part of it and yeah I I may be a little bit naive. I I think that at the very least, someone at that company would definitely thought that this was a part of the idea. But I also understand the the resistance from people to be like, "You've made a lot of money on Shovel Knight. You're putting uh-huh. out a lot of games that you're not kickstarting. Do I need to put any money towards this?" But I guess at the same time, yeah. you don't. You don't like. I'm really excited no. <laughs> about this game. I've not backed it on Kickstarter. Like the same. Yeah. It's you're sort of almost backing it with the promise of being involved in the development a little bit like not obviously hugely but you're you're more involved than i am going to be from someone who's just waiting for it to come out at this point totally you know if you want your name in the credits or if you want um if you just want to it's basically a glorified pre-order at this point you know that's that's what especially from a company like yacht club who you know will deliver and can deliver um it's not like you're putting your money behind a uh, project that might take a decade to come out like i have done with certain kickstarters in the past um there's a (laughs) game there's a game called ghost song which was before the kind of metroidvania 
Mania like bubble became extremely large. Uh, this was on Kickstarter in I think 2012 or 2013, um, oh, wow. and it's it's still not out <laughs> yet. Um, I think I believe it just got picked up by Humble, so I think they're they're publishing it now. Um, yeah. But. Uh, yeah uh that is one of those things right i gave my money to that project literally almost a decade ago and i still don't have the game so um that's definitely not going to be the case with yacht club right because they have a proven track record and and, you know they they already published their own games and and other games as well so um it's it's a a really interesting approach from them the other thing that i just wanted to bring up is is a really interesting thing that yacht club have done is they are actually very transparent about their finances they wrote a blog on their uh, website that kind of broke down like look this is how much money that we made from all our games in this period of time um this is how many units they sold like this is how much we lose through taxes and all these other things um and i'll read a little bit from it but they, they they say um what ends up in Yacht Club's accounts is about $24 million. Due to taxes, we spent around $9 million making Shovel Knight, more than $2 million on external games, which gives us $13 million for the next two games, but we've already spent two years working on them, and our current man month is about $12,000, which means we spent more than $7 million. Oh no, and we've got more than two years to go. Uh-oh. Um, which is them kind of saying, like, look, running a studio, especially when you're, like, 25 yeah. people or so, it gets really expensive. It depends, like, where your studio is. You know, they're in the US, I think, um, and, you know, if you're in, like, the West Coast, it becomes very expensive expensive to run a studio just because prices of a price of living generally and all that stuff and so yes like you start with this big number but also i know from publishing that like hey you have worldwide tax you have the stores coming in and every store unless you're epic are going to take 30 percent of your cut which is a massive chunk of the pie um and then you also have uh you know other factors going on like this cost that you don't foresee um things that pop up you know if something gets delayed then you have to um be able to cover that and so i don't think necessarily that this is you know as they mentioned they made 24 million million dollars like they're, yeah. they're, they're good they've, they've made a lot of money um uh, but this feels like a bit more of a, a safety blanket than you might imagine given you know the expectations people have yeah uh, for a company like that well, so. I, th- I think a lot of people also put a lot of um a lot of weight on sort of game sales they can be like oh you know shovel knight sold this amount they should have plenty of money and is the, yeah. the, you always ask the question like how many of those were when it was down to like a fiver in a sale exactly right? as opposed yes. to the, the full price I, I think sometimes you look at a game sale and be like no no, no that was clearly very successful but there's some games that, you know, like Guardians of the Galaxy, like those sales are going to be boosted since it had its first sort of disappointing few months. Right. But that game yeah. has been like 20 or 30 quid recently as opposed to exactly. like 60 when it came out. I think I got it in December, like a couple of months after it came out on Epic for £20 because they're extra £10 off coupon thing. And yeah, uh, yeah uh, that was great, right? Like that game's excellent and I had a fantastic time playing it. But um, yeah, they're not Square Enix, they're not making a lot of money through that. And, you know, inevitably as always, Square Enix just blames all their Western studios for all their failures. <laughs> Meanwhile, they spend like three decades developing a Final Fantasy game uh, that ends up doing like fine. But, uh, you know, that's 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 another conversation. Um, but yeah, it's, it's a really interesting game. I'm, I'm excited to play Mina the Hollower and I yeah. think the other smart thing from Yacht Club's perspective when it comes to like branding is that they make characters that are very um, easy to like create uh, plushies of and stuff like that yeah. right? they're thinking about it from a marketing perspective too um, and, and how they're kind of another game, right? yes exactly I think Shovel Knight has like 300 appearances in other games or something stupid oh, so so many isn't it it's just like it's crazy if, if there's an indie game that's doing any sort of crossover Shovel Knight will be one of them right yeah exactly exactly um, and you know that's that's fun and that, that's great it's 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 a smart way to approach things and um, I, I am happy that it's not Shovel Knight 64 in a, in a sense like yeah. I think that would have been a cool thing but I really like that they've come out with a brand new game and instead of continuing that already successful thing which 
to be fair, like Shovel Knight, they are still doing stuff with, right? You've got Pocket Dungeon, you've got um, the other game that's coming out, the the digging one that's made yeah. by the Bomb Bomb Chicken Studio, Nitrome. I can't remember the name of that one. Um, but they've got a couple of other Shovel Knight projects in the works, which I'm sure they'll continue to kind of build that brand. But the idea that they're going to approach this uh, thing from like, okay, we're going to create a brand new IP every time. I just love that. I think it's it's a really smart oh, yeah, um, it's great. thing to do. Because mechanically, I'm sure there's no reason this game couldn't have been a Shovel Knight game. Do you know what I mean? Like it could have yes, been top down yeah. Shovel Knight. He, it's literally like a burrowing mechanic with right. Shovel Knight <laughs> totally. as a shovel. Like yeah. I, I, this could have even started life as a Shovel Knight game, but it makes. Yeah. I would be less weirdly less excited about that than I Same. am about this. Like I, th- I think there is something about seeing them do something that is ostensibly new, even if it's not because it's based on you know it, it's clearly a love letter to older games like Shovel Knight was. But it feels newer, it feels more exciting. And uh, yeah, I, I think it's completely fair to, for this to be your second most uh, anticipated game behind Breath of the Wild 2. Like, if this is, yeah. if this uh, goes into those bits of your brain that like click the right way, then this will be absolutely up your street. Yeah, for sure. Um, so yeah, thanks, Justin, for your email. And uh, looking forward to Mean of the Holler whenever it comes out. I think actually, I was kind of surprised by how late it's coming. I think it's sometime end of next year or something, which I'm like, yeah, oh, it's quite a while I don't know. Um, it's, yeah, it seems like, I don't know. It's one of those weird things, right? Where you're like, oh, well, it just looks like a Game Boy game. So surely you can just put it out in like a month or whatever. But that's not the case at all, right? Game development is very difficult and weird. <laughs> so um, yeah, they'll, they'll, they'll take their time on it, I'm sure, to make it very polished and great. Um, our next email comes from Albert from Austin. Austria, and Albert writes, Dear MBZ and Bali, with Shigeru Miyamoto turning 70 this year, his retirement in the near-to-medium-term future seems somewhat inevitable. How will Nintendo change once he leaves the company? Thank you as always for your fantastic show. I finally caught up on all episodes you've released, all since discovering your podcast less than a year ago. I think oh, I wow. may have a problem. Uh, best wishes, <laughs> Albert. Thanks, Albert. Uh, really appreciate that. That always um, makes me happy when people say that because uh, you know some of my favourite podcasts, that's what I did. Right? It's like I, I started them, I was like, oh, uh, RFN, I just went back to the very beginning of that show and listen to everything all the way up to the point uh, to where i'd caught up so um very flattering uh, thanks for that uh, a really interesting question Miyamoto, i didn't realize turning 70 uh, this you, year you wouldn't, which, um, you wouldn't know it would you like <laughs> no uh, i think there's something like japanese people generally like you look at sakurai and it's like is that man benjamin button he ages backwards right because yeah. he looks great <laughs> for his age um and you know similar with miyamoto uh i i don't know it feels to me like he is more so now than ever a figurehead a kind of mascot of the company rather than someone who has like a core importance on the games that they make and the stuff that they do you know yeah. like a lot of his duties in recent times have been working with illumination on the mario movie or figuring out how to do the theme park stuff like yeah. his the, the kind of branding stuff outside of the video game sphere with him as kind of like a ambassador for nintendo to be like hey no the goomba should look like that not like this type <laughs> of deal you know um just making sure everything all the eyes are dotted and all the t's are crossed um and and i think that because he hasn't like been involved like in a producer or director capacity in quite a long time from a games perspective i don't know that it changes that much about nintendo necessarily i think from a it's much for from a branding and marketing perspective of like yeah. this is the father of mario that's when things get a little bit different but um yeah i don't know what, what do you think about miyamoto potentially leaving nintendo which is gonna happen at some point right yeah i from a games perspective i'm not worried mostly because the stuff that he's been less involved in recently has been some of the stuff that I've really liked more. Like, uh-huh. I think I've, <laughs> yes. I, it's things like Mario Odyssey, right? Actually having some semblance of a of a storyline to it, which 
was something that he was always quite adamantly against and uh, supposedly was had to be fought for in Odyssey. And you see that with like Galaxy 1 to Galaxy 2, right? Like yeah. he was more involved in Galaxy 2 and he went, nope, no story anymore. We're just retelling the first game for some reason. Like it's just yeah. levels. And like exactly. I know I know there's not there's not actually a huge amount of truth to the Paper Mario stuff, right? But it's still mm-hmm. like I, I'm a big lover of uh, the first game and Thousand Year Door. Yeah. And, you know, his name's sort of been associated with that series not being an RPG series anymore so much. Right. And, like, I I think he's obviously an incredibly talented game designer. But, the yeah, the sort of the focus that more modern Nintendo titles have had on story and things like that and on how they create their worlds... I think I'm slightly more interested in than the old sort of like it exists in a bubble type yeah. of game design that that he did so well. And but I think I don't think too much will change from now to him retiring though, because like you say, he's not been really heavily involved for a long time in terms of the game design. He's yeah involved in the branding, right? And he's involved in you know Mario and Donkey Kong. That's why. That there's a reason that Nintendo's theme parks are Mario and Donkey Kong first. It's going to be because Shigsy's been in charge of them, mm-hmm. essentially, and uh, and it will take a while for you know I, I I can't see a Splatoon area popping up anytime soon. Like they're, they're yeah. going to make their way through Mario, Donkey Kong, Zelda. Although having said that, that would that would be fun, right? Like a a kind of like almost laser um oh, be thing with Splatoon, right? It would be amazing. Um, but yeah, I I I do think that. We'll think about it, right? Like, when was the last time he showed up in a Nintendo Direct? It was the one where they talked about the cast of the Mario movie, yeah. right? Like, <laughs> that that was the reason he was on screen, was, like, this thing that isn't to do with the games that is a thing he's been working on as his pet project. Um, and, I, right, they have positioned other people in place of him in terms of those presentations you know i think in the older even like 10 years ago when nintendo Rex were first starting he was a bit more present in them yeah. um, and obviously iwata was leading a lot of those and, and you know reggie being involved but now they've kind of transitioned where they have takahashi who is kind of presenting a lot of the d- directs now and you have koizumi who's become a bit of a character koizumi, in his own yeah. right um, and koizumi you know talking about the galaxy stuff is like he's the guy who wants story in nintendo yeah, games right exactly, he's the one yeah. behind that stuff so um it definitely is a shift in in that sense but um i i, I feel like uh yeah, you you don't get as many of those weird like skits and stuff in those presentations anymore. And I think part of it is like you don't have uh, Miyamoto getting involved in in those types of things. And um, he still does interviews and, and things like that. You know, when Breath of the Wild was coming yes. out, it was yeah, him yeah. and Anuma uh, talking through the game. Um, even though like he, I, I think the story was that they gave him the game and all he wanted to do was climb, climb trees. The trees and, yeah, uh, <laughs> and that was like his contribution was, hmm, yeah, this is good. Let's do more of this. Which you know, fair enough. That's probably one of the best parts of that game. So. for liking climbing trees um but yeah that feels like the capacity to which he's involved at this point in time where like he still feels like a seal of approval um on on terms of uh you know what games they put out but not wielding the same power i don't know maybe maybe he does wield the same power because like he might still have that power it's just how will how much he wants to use it these days right if he maybe trusts someone like koizumi to do his own thing Mm-hmm. in terms of uh, Mario and I knew Zelda like I reckon he could still veto something if he really wanted to but exactly yeah if he I think, yeah I'm sure in an interview fairly recently he said that he was more relaxed about that that and people used to say that he used to come in and like flip the table wasn't it uh-huh. uh, yeah the, uh, 
and just be like, no, this doesn't work. Change it completely. <laughs> right. Yeah. Um, totally. And um, as well, I, I absolutely adore Miyamoto. Like, I'd, I'd absolutely love to meet him. He seems really nice. But in terms of, in terms of game design, I think I'm quite happy for him to take a step back uh, because all the all the younger guys at Nintendo have done a fantastic job. You like, you look at right. the last you know five six years of nintendo games and everything's going very very well <laughs> yeah you have a lot of younger teams right like the team uh that made splatoon is a much yeah. younger team as well um and and i think that like those new ideas those fresh ideas are great and like just them being willing to take the risks you know that's um, it have, yeah. having breath of the wild be as bold and different as it is um you know even just making a 3d kirby game in the first place is like not something you would have expected from them in the last kind of decade or so because they seemed so they seemed so all in on this 2d renaissance that kind of happened like around the ds and wii era they were like yeah. oh we we made a new mario game on the ds ah it sold very well hmm what if we just made more of those and didn't really change much between them and yeah. they'll still sell like gangbusters and you know the uh the whole new super mario brothers thing has has kind of faded away at this point right like we i don't i'm not sure we'll get another one they they ported the wii u one over to switch but um mario maker became a thing and that's a much more interesting approach i think to to what they do with 2d mario and, and something that i enjoyed thoroughly so um yeah i i do think that miyamoto leaving probably won't have as big an impact as no. people might expect from a game standpoint but i think just from a perception standpoint it will be a little bit different right because oh it'll be it'll be a big change like yeah just yeah. not seeing him even like every now and again in a direct or like say in an interview and stuff like that like he's still the figurehead of that company for all intents and purposes yeah. even more so since it was a pass away right like yes there was yeah. a point where it was the two of them you you associated them both together but the, nintendo's current president isn't you know very forward facing and uh yeah so in that sense you sort of you associate yeah nintendo with miyamoto and uh like at the the ubisoft conference right like he wasn't there yes. to announce the game but absolutely with marion rabbits but it was it was miyamoto being there being like yeah we're partnering with nintendo he's let us use mario what, what yes. a guy like <laughs> yeah and um, you have davide soliani in the crowd just like weeping tears yeah. as this like icon of his uh you know game design career is is like behind his game is uh I, it still has a big impact on people, right? I tell you what, I'm actually what one thing I'm quite excited for is the prospect of seeing Star Fox without Miyamoto mm, at the helm. Yeah, that's not, a good point. Yes. Not because I think they're bad, but because I think it's one of the series that could most do with a shakeup, right? Because we've had yeah, we basically had Star Fox one like four times now, yes. and I'm I'm really willing to see a new team under a new leader just have a bit more free reign to be like let's just do something weird and interesting with star fox well it always seems like the reason star fox kept coming up was because it was miyamoto's pet project that he really enjoyed that he wanted to do stuff with and like i think we've seen this a bunch of times of like if there isn't a champion or a cheerleader within the company to make something happen you know stuff like f-zero and advance was just going to sit on the sidelines for years and no one's going to touch them and i wonder even metroid yeah and and i wonder if miyamoto leaving like gets rid of that in some senses you know i think part of the reason why he hasn't been as involved uh, these days is because he just doesn't have the time probably right if he's dedicating all of his time to theme parks and the movie stuff his schedule is just going to be so stacked that he just doesn't there is no wiggle room for him to go and have a little star fox project on his own but like you can tell when they presented uh, uh, zero for the first time it was always him front and center of those tech demos and like project guard and all that sort of stuff it was always him at the forefront of those ideas and once he kind of like doesn't have enough time for that anymore if there isn't another cheerleader or someone to get behind that ip of the company 
they're probably not going to do a lot with it um in in any time soon so um you just kind of have to have a, someone who cares about it enough to to go after it and i think part of the problem is it's never been an amazing seller um and you know they they feel like they have run out of ideas for it at least like what they've tried so far but also as you said they haven't really tried that hard they're just kind of making the first <laughs> game multiple times over um and not really doing anything fresh with it i think they maybe get a little bit scared of stuff like when assault comes out and they're trying these on foot sections and people don't really like them and it doesn't really work and um it's it's something that i think they can return to you know i'd love to see yeah. um Star Fox go back and, and try to do something similar to Assault, but make it work this time and, and yeah. have it be a bit different. Um, I, I think there's a better understanding of how... I mean, I know I know it wasn't that long ago, but there's still a better understanding of how you can do a third-person action game, right? Like, yes, I think there's sure. so many more ways they can take that with Star Fox than there was back then. And like that was right. before the sort of the cover third-person shooter became a big thing. Like you could do you could do an Uncharted-style Star Fox with plenty of flying sections still, and I think it could be a lot of fun like yeah yeah i don't know i it's, it's a series that has always fascinated me and i've never been able to get into that much but i love mm-hmm. the the world and the characters but again they've never right. gotten past like you know two games worth of story before resetting it again so yeah exactly unless you're talking about Star Fox command which i think has some wild endings yeah, and some that, crazy yeah. stuff going on with when it. they join the yeah. the grand prix or whatever at the end or yeah like. yeah exactly T- tying the f-zero and Star Fox universes together once and for all um <laughs> yeah that i i think that ultimately what will have to happen for Star Fox is what is happening with metroid and advance wars where there's a western studio who has a pitch for one of those series comes to nintendo and is like look we want to make this game clearly you're not interested in making it let us make it and it's turned out great for metroid we'll see how that advanced wars game is um, but way forward obviously have worked with nintendo before in the past very yeah. closely um and you know if there is a studio out there you know even like platinum because platinum worked on uh star fox zero um uh, and the platinum are in a weird place you know there's the potential yeah. potential that microsoft will buy them who knows what's going to go on um i think there's some netties probably talks there as well but uh platinum is a partner who nintendo have had for quite a while in, in the recent uh, times you know with wonderful 101 which i just ordered a copy of there was a cheap copy going and oh, uh, nice uh, i have that arriving on switch so i look forward to checking that game out but um obviously bayonet is tied up with nintendo now and they did astral chain so there's clearly a strong relationship there they've worked on Star Fox before they kind of have the sensibilities and i think they can bring something in terms of third person action uh, yeah. to Star Fox. i think that's like a great fit like so, so that would be ideal um and i think that miyamoto would probably be able to give his blessing for that right yeah uh, and, and give that series some life so and platinum's um, platinum's good games are only releasing on switch these days <laughs> yeah yeah i don't know they, if you uh, played babylon's fall but it's no i avoided good. that like the plague it seemed like uh <laughs> one of the worst games in recent memory so uh yeah not well, you know there's there's good platinum and there's bad, bad platinum and sometimes bad platinum is really bad platinum yeah. so uh <laughs> Yeah, we're uh, not in a good place there for them. But hopefully Bayonetta 3 is good, fingers crossed. Uh, hopefully uh, that comes out soon and, <laughs> and is great because um, that second game is fantastic. But um, yeah, uh, just I guess to wrap up on Miyamoto, uh, yeah, th- I, I think that there will definitely be a either you know it's i don't know the question is will he die first or will he retire first which may be a morbid question but um it is a morbid question but he does strike me as the sort of person who'll be there forever right like and knowing japanese companies and the way that their work culture works it does feel like you kind of stay there and (laughs) until you pass away um almost um i doubt even if he leaves i feel like he'll announce his retirement and they'll in the press release they'll be like we're going to keep him on retainer as a consultant for stuff in the future, right? Yeah, like there's, totally. there's no, I don't see a world where he completely 
stops interacting with Nintendo entirely. Like, the biggest danger to Nintendo is them atta- announcing his retirement and their stock price falling. That's the thing, yeah. right? Like, because yeah. there's such a kind of tie up with with those uh, elements. And um, you know, e- even someone like Reggie, who obviously retired and left, like you you can see a little bit of a difference in terms of how Nintendo of America run things. And yeah, you know, Doug, Doug Bowser's not as forward facing and those types of things. But ultimately, at the end of the day, it's still kind of business as usual. Um, so I don't think you know uh, after that kind of brief period where it's a little weird uh then i think it'll it'll be okay so um you know and then nintendo can, and, and miyamoto can write his tell-all book like reggie is doing about uh, <laughs> all the stuff that he was nda'd on and, and all that sort of stuff so uh that will be interesting i'm sure but um yes uh that is gonna do us for emails thank you everyone for writing in your questions as i mentioned running low in the bucket so uh fill that bucket up send your emails to this nintendo life at gmail.com that is this nintendo life at gmail.com or as mentioned go to the discord server which is linked in the description and you can pop some emails there um we are going to take a quick break but we'll be back after that to talk about secrets in video games see you in a bit Alright folks, welcome back to the third and final part of today's show. Uh, it is time to delve in, to dig into the depth of video games and talk about secrets. Secrets in video games. I think it's uh, definitely a relevant topic. Obviously we talked about Tunic earlier in the show that is a game built around secrets I would say. And, and I think with the release of Elden Ring um, and generally just this idea of secrets playing a, a big role in people's joy from video games would be an interesting thing to have a bit of a discussion about and kind of uh, talk about what we think about different types of secrets and, and how we approach them in games and um, how they affect uh, kind of what we think uh, when we play through stuff so I guess maybe we'll start off by kind of talking through some different types of secrets because I think there's like certain ones that I gravitate towards much more and certain ones that I'm not as big a fan of um, and the first one I kind of thought of was hidden collectibles right this very much is like the Kirby mold of um, you have these hidden objectives or these hidden things that you can find within the level and this feels like a lot more of a Nintendo focused one where they tend to do this in a lot of their games a lot of their older games do it as well Um, you know stuff like Yoshi's Island is built on this idea of finding everything in a level um, and the reward more so being that you found it rather than the thing itself right because often the thing itself doesn't do much for you you know yeah. in yoshi's island you find those things and i guess they do they unlock extra levels in that game as well i think they they might do right you know what they might do in yoshi's island but i'm just yeah because these these are the sort of classes that are more about ticking off a box right you that's yes, where the satisfaction exactly. comes from is going well this was blank and now it's full but i think you're right yes. i think you might be right it might also unlock levels but that style of collectible tends to be 
collecting for collecting sake almost isn't it yes yeah it's almost like oh i have i've discovered the kind of the secret that the game has put in front of me of like oh this thing looked suspicious and i went over there and i did something and it turned out i was rewarded for that suspicious uh, thing because it turned out there was uh, a dude hiding under that hole or whatever and, and i found it and, <laughs> and it added to my collection um and i think this is this can go a couple of ways right because i think bally and i've talked about in the past how we're not really a big fan of having to get all the collectibles in a thing to unlock stuff that otherwise you wouldn't get access to and i think the biggest example of this is one of our favorite games which is tropical freeze right don't go on country tropical yes. freeze yeah, an yeah. incredible platformer just such amazing level design and i really do want to play all parts of that game you know i don't want to be locked off from parts of those amazing levels but the game locks you off from them because you have to get the kong letters in order to find those final or in order to unlock those final kind of temple levels yeah. that are that are really good honestly like oh, they're, they're real fantastic. gut check challenges yeah. like very almost meat boy-esque in terms of their design of just like you really have to nail every section of this in order to get through it um but to me it's a little like the joy of unlocking those is great because it gives you a good reward for finding all the stuff but i think just maybe the monotony or, or like the the, the the hard part is like jumping back in and not knowing where something is and like having that as a almost roadblock to get somewhere and i think for me speak secrets speak to me a lot more where i come across them naturally or i'm driven to find them by my own curiosity rather than being roadblocked in order to be like well you can't get here until you found the secret you know um that that's where it's tricky for me that's one of the problems with balancing putting secrets in games is that you need to balance, you know, it being something that is satisfying and useful to find mm-hmm. with being like, what if they don't find it? That's that's where the, the it comes down, right? And in the case of uh, like Tropical Freeze, like you say, getting them all and unlocking a new level, that's a really big reward for yes. you know, finding all the secrets. That If you do want to do it and you do do it, you go, well, this is really cool. I, w- I wasn't expecting this. This is great. Mm-hmm. If you don't get it that's then a negative isn't it if you're like well i don't want to find all the secrets or i find this like long or tedious right being locked off from you know a fairly decent chunk of the game until you find everything can be frustrating and that's that's why like sort of hiding secrets games is is it's not difficult but i think not every developer gets it quite right like it is yeah it's almost i mean it's almost like the bloody you know the amiibo stuff right it was like yeah <laughs> yes. it was like well you do you unlock something cool with the amiibo if you do then someone else isn't getting that without having it but if yeah. you unlock something rubbish then what's the point of having the interactivity at all it's yeah it's totally. finding that balance between the two there's a catch 22 yeah maybe i should add amiibos to this list of different <laughs> secrets in video games that's more like consumerism is the secret yeah, you I was know? Gonna say, yeah. um uh that's uh yeah interesting but um yeah i i think i think hidden collectibles is definitely like the most nintendo one generally and one that they've leaned on for years and years and um you know there are certain games where i think they actually nail it with that stuff like the um the 3d mario games are really good at this because they they almost encourage like the the interesting part of the level design in 3d land and 3d world is not the main path it is in fact all the hidden stuff that you find by going off the trodden path right um and that's the reward in and of itself is that you find a little platforming section that the joy is actually doing the platforming section and you get the coin at the end but really the the thing the reward was oh you got a little bit of extra level to do that was fun and interesting and, and good to engage with and i i always prefer i think that approach more so than 
collect it in order to unlock a new thing and you know sometimes um you know mario games do that as well i think you can only do that very last level in galaxy 2 if you found all of the stuff but also that level is just like a masochist dream and i <laughs> i uh, i still haven't completed it like there was a three hour i think we talked about it before there's a three hour afternoon where me and my friends were just playing it non-stop 99 lives and we got to zero lives having not finished the oh, wow it's uh extremely brutal um but uh but yeah um another one is easter eggs uh which i i find cool um but i don't think that they are kind of like the big draws for me when it comes to secrets in games they're all, all, always like nice nods to find like yeah i guess um one of the most famous ones which was accidentally left in the game is uh the easter egg for the last of us in uncharted 3 where you're at the yeah. bar and there's like this magazine that's talking about a virus infecting things and no one knew about it at the time because the last of us yeah. hadn't been yeah. announced Pre, yeah, and they actually accidentally right? left it in the game um and and yeah so so stuff like that i guess is are there any like memorable ones that stand out to you in terms of easter eggs that you've found in games um i was thinking like i know the the hitman games tend to have some really cool stuff and it all all, all yeah. that tends to be is like a if you do a series of events in like a in a funny order um you'll get something really bizarre happen in one there was like a, a storm that whips up and in another a hippo comes out of the water and starts talking to you about like blood <laughs> okay. spilling and things like this and that that's really um cool little things i'm trying to think because i it, it's funny that you say it because i Every year around Christmas, we do our best Easter eggs of the year. Oh, nice! Thing okay. on the website. So, and the Hitman ones are the ones that always really stick out to me as being like they're just weird. Mm, and like, yes. I think I think there's that, that sort of thing. But sometimes the other the other issue with Easter eggs is that if they're too well hidden. A lot of them are very well hidden to the point where the most people won't come across them. Right. Like, it's something that you'll find out about on the internet. Yeah, and sometimes you have to have a frame of reference for them as well, right? Like, um, one of my ones that I always think about is there's a little Triforce etched into a tree in Ori in the Blind Forest. And, you know, you can run past that area and just totally ignore that and miss it completely. But if you spend a little time just there and looking at the environment, you'll see this little thing etched in. And it's like, well, you have to be a Zelda fan. You have to understand what that is. So there is almost like this... Um, this kind of secondhand like reference uh, that you have to have in order to enjoy an easter egg sometimes in the first place and i'm sure there's been plenty of easter eggs that i've come across that i'm like well i don't know what the reference is so i don't really <laughs> get it so it, it feels almost like a superficial secret you know um one that like you can engage with a little bit but is uh is, is not really adding or changing much about the game i guess yeah and yeah you're right you have to have a frame reference because like there's a lot of things that you would just walk past that you wouldn't even know was a thing right like i know there's get a lot of games have uh bonfires from dark souls in them yes. which is just a sword in a fire but if you've got no yeah if you've got no context for that you you just see that or not see it at all you know what i mean like uh, if it's just sort mm-hmm. of set dressing and you don't think too much about it um so e- easter eggs are easter eggs are nice aren't they but they're not they're not like uh they're not a consistent way to hide secrets in a game i feel yeah exactly um I th- yeah there is one in elden ring actually that was brought to my attention that because uh, i've never read berserk but berserk obviously a very famous manga yes. and um, yeah, the creator yeah. passed away recently um and there are a bunch of places in the game where there are these giant swords just in the ground and supposedly that's a berserk reference and like i would have just thought that's a natural part of the world but um supposedly you know it kind of ties into the influence that that series has had on miyazaki and on his games as well which is um, a really cool thing but yeah if if they're done well like that is it just feels like the tapestry of whatever the game is already you know um so yeah kind of kind of blends in uh, and even if you don't get it it's still still cool to kind of look at and see um 
that another one is kind of like bonus levels or like hidden paths in areas i guess this kind of ties in a little bit to what we we're talking about with hidden collectibles but yeah um, the one I think about is Oli Oli, the original Oli Oli games, where yes. you would only unlock levels if you're able to hit a high enough score in order to get them. Uh, and so they weren't necessarily, I guess, secrets in, in some ways, but like you had to be able to be good enough to achieve the thing uh, in order to get enough points to then unlock the next thing. And for me, these have always been ones that I'm not a big fan of, um, especially in games where I'm not good enough to kind of open up <laughs> the next part of the yeah. game. Like It's almost like the game blocks you off. And Kirby kind of does this, but like it's very generous with it right you don't need to find that many waddle d's in order to unlock the boss like just through natural play and just being curious throughout the game you're yeah you're you're normally unlock the boss door regardless right like... yeah i i was always i always had enough right i never had to go and scour levels to get enough to get through but there was a game um gosh what's the name of it it was a horizon chase turbo i think which is a racing game yeah. uh that that came out uh, a while ago and it was on switch but i played it it was on free on the epic store and i kind of downloaded it just to check it out and then see what it was about because i was interested but that's a racing game which i'm not very good at and uh, you had to come first in a bunch of races in order to get enough points to unlock the next part of the game and the trials games do this as well where if you don't have enough points you kind of get locked off from the rest of it um and yeah it's, it's never been one of my favorite kind of approaches when it comes down to it um but yeah i don't know how you feel about those yeah i mean it's very it's very similar to the collectibles one at the beginning and most of the time in something like ollie ollie i probably won't end up going to those secret levels like I, I'll get as much as I want out of a game and that tends to be, you know, if you want to really push your skill barrier on something, you can keep, you can really keep going with that and push past it. But yeah, in terms of sort of, yeah, hiding secret areas and stuff like that, like, especially if it's hidden behind a skill thing, it's highly dependent on how I feel at the time. Um, and yeah, similar to Collectibles one, it, it's, it's not, they're sort of not secrets, if that makes sense. Do you know what I mean? Like, it, right? Yes. Yeah. There's there's secrets that are not intended to be secret. Which yeah, I think they're, is they're almost blocked blocked off because of your skill, as opposed to yeah. anything else. Um, as opposed to one of the the probably one of the the next type of secrets we we'll talk about, which is the mm-hmm. the sort of stuff that you're seeing in Tunic and Elden Ring, right? Which is right. like and Breath of the Wild as well. Yeah, but yeah, exactly. Breath of the Wild is, is a perfect example, which is it's secret in terms of you may never see it that, that yes. that's the thing i, I think the, the, the my favorite secrets in games are the ones where the developer's gone i don't really mind if you miss this like because that makes it more special for those who do find it exactly and, yes. and that's what's been i think that's what's captured so many people with elden ring right like mm-hmm. the amount of stuff that i've seen online where i've gone oh god i didn't i didn't know about that like how did i miss yeah. that entire bit I, I was in that area and like and and stuff like that and like the um from software games have always done this there's you know classically like illusory walls in in most of their sort of dark souls games which right if you literally don't hit a wall which why would you <laughs> yeah <laughs> you miss out on huge you know like armor sets and stuff like that but you yeah. don't know you're missing it and that's the important thing you don't it's yes. not it's not needed to carry on you just get something cool behind it. And even if you don't use that stuff, because that's what I found in Elden Ring, like the amount of times that I did find a secret and you get an item and I, I see it and I like, I'm like, I'm never going to use this because it doesn't fit my build. But I don't go, oh, that's disappointing. I'm still like, oh, that's really cool. It's a completely unique piece of gear that doesn't yes. exist anywhere else in the world. And like, 
Um, I don't know. You haven't been to this area yet, I don't think. But I mm-hmm. fought a boss in Elden Ring, like a mini boss on the map that I could have completely missed and avoided. I had to go through a complex thing of like ladders to get to. But by beating it, I got its tooth as a weapon, and that calls down lightning from the sky onto enemies. Jesus. I could have completely missed it, but that's been that that weapon now saw me through the last forty hours of the game, right? And wow, most people haven't gotten this weapon, and, we, and I think we we said on the Discord, didn't we? The um, that area near the beginning of the game with the where you go in with the stone uh, keys, yeah, sword stone keys. sword key, yeah, and there's yeah. that horrible rolling thing going yeah, up and yeah. down, mm-hmm. and you you told me about it. You're like, either I'm going to come back here, or I managed to get through it. And I was like, mm-hmm. oh, by the way, if you shoot the pots above it, <laughs> you can kill that thing, and then you get right. a bow. You get a bow. <laughs> it's ridiculous, right? Because that whole area, um, obviously, if you take a stone shard... Well, I can't remember the... Yeah, I can't remember it. what it's um, called. Yeah. Too, too many shards and stones and all this thing. Um, if you take one of those items that unlocks those secret doors at the start of the game, you can kind of do that straight away, which is way too hard for you to do as a level one character. Uh, and I came back there at, like, level 50, and... I, already i was like okay this is an interesting challenge of like it's a different kind of challenge than what the game has presented already which is like you're kind of running down these corridors it reminded me actually of skyward sword in the second dungeon where there are boulders rolling down a hill and you need to run past them and kind of hide in cubbies holes like it it has that element to it um but much more brutal and hard and uh you know with a poison (laughs) uh, lake before it and all that sort of stuff and then you get down to the bottom and there's this really hard boss fight that you fight um but then you're like oh no but you totally miss this other thing uh in this whole area that is another secret on top of the secret that is already there um which is yeah i think that's the best part uh, when it comes down to secrets and games is um you know stuff like tunic stuff like elden ring and breath of the wild the reason i think so many people respond to them strongly is because they are built around player discovery in a way that the game doesn't teach you but also in a way that doesn't feel unfair right because i do think older nintendo games have this quality like the original legend of zelda is also that type of design where you have this a whole world you don't really know anything about it you can find these areas where you can burn a random bush and you can go inside but the problem with those games is the design was never intentional the design was built but game design hadn't got to a point where it was uh, favorable enough to the player in order for them to be able to figure it out um, and one of the things i actually really like about elden ring despite it having stuff like invisible walls which is like how would anyone find that is that there's this community element yes. where there are notes written on the ground and so like reading notes and finding the places where potentially there could be one obviously people always troll you as well and say <laughs> oh there's one over here that when there isn't yeah um, try jumping yeah is a way to mitigate that issue right is like having it almost crowdsourced with secrets where like you don't even have to go to the internet like you can be in a cavern and find a whole hidden path and i did like there's there's multiple places where i found entire hidden stashes with like stuff that you wouldn't have seen otherwise if not for that one person who had put down a note saying hey by the way hit this thing and you maybe you'll find something cool um and that's a really great way around it um and then as we were talking about with tunic stuff like having the manual that doesn't tell you explicitly but gives you enough information to where you can figure it out for yourself gives you that sense of discovery and joy and um and i think like the, the other element to this is is stuff like with breath of the wild where it's not just the discovery of places and things and items that you get but it's the discovery of systems and how systems yes. interact yeah, with each yeah. other and ultimately like the thing that i prize the most from breath of the wild is that moment where i killed a chew with a fire rod and it died and dropped fire jelly i'm like yeah oh shit like the every part of this 
game knows and understands each other and is interacting in this way that is logical built on the the game uh kind of state and, and the things that it has available oh, yeah. to you so i think like my, yeah. my one for that was putting a fire sword on my back and not freezing to death yes like, that yes, was such sure. a big moment in that game but the, the the I think with Breath of the Wild specifically, what I think is really interesting is that few of Breath of the Wild's secrets are secret at all. Yeah, they're all between every player. We basically found everything. There's obviously a few every now and again you get an article, don't you? Being like yes. this thing happens in Breath of the Wild, and we only found out five years later. But in terms right. of like the places and the people and the quests, within mm-hmm. the first week, everyone would have found it cumulatively. But yeah. by giving you a huge open world and by making so much of it optional, essentially all of it, right? Like yes, you can yeah. run, you can run to the castle and beat Ganon. By making so much of it optional, everything that you've not found in Breath of the Wild is a secret. That like that area in like the north of uh, the map where it's mm-hmm. it's in the forest, but it's completely dark and you need like yes. torches. That's a secret to anyone who hadn't already been there. And like, right. and so you get these discussions online between people talking about what they found. And that's in that way, it feels like they've hidden so much stuff. But nothing's hidden from you. You've just not necessarily headed in that exact direction, right? But totally. it, it yeah. feels like the developers have just put stuff absolutely everywhere. And it is, it's from... While uh, Dark Souls and Elden Ring, they have a built-in community discussion... I think where these games are succeeding so well these days is with social media, isn't it? And with yeah, totally. clips yeah. and with people being like, oh, I just beat the da And the 10 people underneath being like, the what? <laughs> like, yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. And it's, it's, it's basically brought back that playground discussion, which doesn't happen when you get older, unless you're lucky enough to work in a, in, you know, we're, we're both lucky enough to work in the industry now and you can For go sure. into yeah. work playing a new game and be like, oh, did you find this and have those discussions back and forth? But, for right. a lot of people, you know, they don't have those communities offline anymore. Mm-hmm. But they're, they're now they're now that's online, and you get this. And in that sense, it, it sort of boosts this sense of discovery and the sense that you've missed something, and that a game holds more secrets than you found, even if you feel like you've been everywhere. Yeah, exactly. Um, and and like there are so many of of those moments in all of these games that, it, as you say, like that you can because breath of the wild is kind of built around this idea of sight lines right like it's the disney idea where it's weenies and, and people um you know talk so much about like the castle being in the center and, and you have that and similar in elden ring the, the erd tree is kind of that thing right it's this kind of grounding point that lets you know whereabouts in the world you are relative to everything else um and it gives you a sense of scale and it kind of un- lets you understand how small you are in this giant world and i think that's part of the charm of it is like knowing how small you are comparative to these like big um kind of points in the game it allows you that sense of well probably no one has stepped on this exact set of ground at the same time <laughs> like doing the exact same thing that i have done and it, it gives you that sense of uniqueness right um and and there is a difference i think in terms of like what elden ring does with its sense of discovery of like getting different items and spells and all that sort of stuff versus zelda with its almost mechanical discovery of like yeah. people figuring out you can slide on a shield and surfboard like down the side of a mountain <laughs> like all that stuff is so um rich to the point where 
you know even later down the line years and years you still have people discovering stuff and i think that probably will actually happen with elden ring as well there is a so this is maybe a minor spoiler for, for elden ring but it's kind of like a kind of off to the side thing there's a character you find who is after a cave and she has this wolf and she kind of fades away and becomes one of your spirits your yes. ash spirits summons and someone realized that if you summon her near an enemy that is the same wolf that she has had she will jump onto the enemy's onto the wolf's back as if it were her wolf and Wait, start what? riding it around yeah and That's start riding so it around and like firing from its back as opposed to what she usually does which is just like be an archer in the background like those interactions and that's an interaction which like it does a lot of weight storytelling wise as well because the idea is that this wolf has, has died or is dying in this state of um like passing away yeah. and she's like well you know my my favorite companion you've i've lost you now and so this idea that her spirit continues to have that kinship with that enemy is just like it's is genius right and i'm sure that with elden ring you're going to continue to have just like breath of the wild those kind of discoveries that are just unexpected but because they've taken so long to make this game and put all these little elements into it uh you know people are going to discover them uh, and keep talking about them years down the line um and that's kind of the enduring thing right of like it's a game like fez that i personally bounced off a little bit because yeah, of how esoteric it was in terms of its secrets like it, as I, I think the good thing about tunic is that you can play it as a zelda game and have a really good time even if you ignore all of the weird stuff going on right yeah versus yeah. fez where i don't think fez is a very good platformer to be honest you know like <laughs> it it has like the, that cool idea of twisting around the world and jumping but i don't think the level design is actually very good from just a a platforming perspective so if you're really going to want to play a game like that you almost have to play it just for the secrets whereas i think these other examples are games that are still built around secrets but you don't necessarily have to engage with them to get the most out of them that's know? entirely it i, I think it not the best because obviously everyone has different opinions but i think my my favorite types of secrets are the ones where you can finish the entire game and have a fantastic time and not feel like you've missed anything and then find out that you have like that's that's essentially it if you if you go i've had my fill this is fantastic i've had a good time and then you can have a conversation with someone and they can go oh how did you find the and you go my what like (laughs) what was that and like knowing that there's more to go back to if you want to but that you still had a what felt like a you know a full experience in yourself and you're satisfied with it that's when secrets tend to be at their best but it's a it's a hard thing to balance like it, it's not an easy balance to find i think and uh, that's why the games that do it so well really do stick in the mind so much right totally um it's i i think that we're going to see a lot more of this going forward a lot more developers kind of taking these cues and, and building around uh this idea but I, it's also i think quite hard for like big triple a companies to do this sort of stuff because they focus test their games to hell right yeah. and like a lot of the evidence they get from that is like well pay, players are stupid and they need to be led by the nose to do everything and anything um and then you see a game like ghostwire tokyo come out and it's just like it's this by the numbers open world game that has not really anything interesting going yeah. on and i'm sure it like sells well but it's also like you look at that and you're like well this could have been so much more it could have been so much more interesting had they made certain different design choices and, and those types of things so, there's, a, there's a budget um, thing to it as well isn't there which is like yeah totally uh, for, for a lot of publishers it's hard to be like well we need all of this money to put all this stuff in the game but we're going to hide right. half of it from players they might never see it and then there's the question of well if they don't see it do you need to like it i think if you've put in that much time and effort into stuff you sort of a lot of developers want players to experience all of it, right? And there's right, a fear yes. of, 
a fear of them missing it. And I think, yeah, I, I think we will. I think you're right. I think we'll see more and more games just being a little bit braver in terms of mm-hmm. being like, if they miss it, they miss it. Like the internet exists. Yes. <laughs> People who want to find stuff will find stuff. The, you, yeah, it, it's, it's, there's a balance there, but I, th- I think I think you're right. I think we will start seeing it a little bit more in the future and probably in smaller games first, right? Like, Right, yeah. Um, and I guess all the three examples that we're talking about, Tunic, Elden Ring, and Breath of the Wild, all have extensive development times, right? <laughs> like a lot of years behind them, uh, a lot of uh, time to kind of refine and, and make sure those things work. Um, and, you know, that's the luxury that not everybody has, frankly. So, um, you know, as, as fun as it is as a, as a concept and something that is what makes games special i think in a lot of ways uh it's it's hard to like reach those heights frequently um and so you know we often get games that are just a bit more by the numbers uh you know and that's fine but uh, i think it also makes it a bit more special right when these games come out and are these kind of talking points that everyone has uh you know that that conversation around uh it's it's a really cool moment um and maybe to some degree if, if more games did it we wouldn't feel as strongly about it you know if it's if it suddenly becomes yeah. you know second nature then yeah it's, it's not a special if you know what i mean well yeah it's, um, it's part of the reason that elden ring has stood out so many people and sort of drawn so many people in i think is that the idea that you can you could just find stuff like and little interaction around the world that are completely unique right. and missable and I, I think yeah i think it's part of the reason it's been so successful for sure um are there any secrets that stand out to you things that you uh remember fondly uh ones that you are a big fan of so the one in the front of my mind is is elden ring which mm-hmm. just because it's a recent one but it was going into the the woods in the first area and finding like a little stone building mm-hmm. and being like this is weird and yep. walking in there's another there's a little lift and you're like oh, okay i know how this works so there's a lift i mean I, I can't go up because obviously it's a small building so i'm going down yep. and you go down and then you go down mm-hmm. and then you go down and it just keeps going down and you're like (laughs) wait where am i and then you've been going down for ages but then you look up and the star the sky because apparently the sky now is full of stars and you're like where am i yeah that it's nighttime and i'm underground and i only found out later that like this whole area is related to an actual like quest line that you can find with an npc and he'll direct Mm -hmm. you towards here right i found it i found it hours and hours before that and I'm wandering around and there's enemies that, you know, are a bit too difficult for me. But and I'm just sort of like, nothing's telling me what to do at all. And I found a load of torches that I had to light. And I was just sort of like, okay, I lit one. And I was like, okay. And I saw another one in the distance. I guess I'll go like that. And like at any point I could have left. Like that's the nice thing that Elden right. Ring does. Like the fast travel just means that you could go whenever you want. You don't have to stick around. Oh, yeah, just like, it's so freeing. Yeah, it. exactly, right? But I was like... I just need. I was like, every time I got closer, I was like, okay, I need to know what's going on. I was getting my ass absolutely kicked by enemies who are too high level. I was getting sniped yep. by these archers, and eventually I lit the last thing. And I think a tiny little message came at the bottom, just being like, it was it's, it's something I unlocked. I think it literally said the word something. Like it was it yes, basically yeah. said something happened, and I went, well, what happened? And I wandered around, and I eventually found an area that I hadn't even seen the first time, so I didn't know anything had changed. I touched a corpse, and I entered the best boss fight in the entire game. Like, the mm-hmm. music yeah. in that boss fight was incredible. It felt like, unlike any other boss fight in the game, there was such a lack of aggression to it. Yeah. And I was just I, I was just absolutely in awe. And this was in my, like, first 10 hours of the game. And I, just, I was just 
I beat the boss and I just went, wow. Like, I just had the biggest grin on my face. And I was like, I could have so easily missed that. I could have left and not pushed on side to light the torches. Mm-hmm. I could have not found this bit for hours or I could have not found it at all. But it felt, it felt special. And it felt like, I mean, especially... I think it helped. I was because obviously I was playing Elden Ring pre-release for review. Yes, yeah. There was this real sense that I was like, I don't know if anyone else has done that. Like, if yeah, it felt really, really special and missable and just unnecessary almost. That's that's yeah, the yeah. thing, right? There's no reason for that. The effort they went in to like build that, and then also you go to the map and you click the stick and and it's that moment of like okay like this world is big but also yeah. uh, is it that big because holy yeah. shit you know um that's that's again yeah similar for me i had this the same experience but i think i found it maybe five hours into the game um and let me tell you that was <laughs> that was a wild <laughs> ride like um because it feels like you're kind of almost like not supposed to be there at that point in time um and yet it's, it's there it's just like right there um just hidden away in this like almost uh unassuming it's not like a cabin but like it's just this building it's just like oh it's just a building who yeah. knows um and you've been in other c- caves at that point and yeah it's it's absolutely wild so th- th- there's so many obviously in that game a weird one for me that is cool because i think it ties into the community stuff um and i didn't even go to the internet to kind of look up this stuff was there is there's a lot of things that activate in that game via gestures um and you know if you're standing in a certain place and you use like the emote system essentially yeah which, you know you can use it for writing messages and all these other things um there's a place i got to uh in the lakes and it was you know this is this building with like almost this goddess inside it maybe it's a marica statue or something and um there was no way to get through and there's a message on the ground being like first head then something then like a motor whatever whatever word they used and the I, I deduced from it being like oh do i have to wear the head thing that that person has on and also do the emote at the same time and i'm like i kind of saw that away in the back of my mind and then like hours later come across um this part of the academy there's this tiny crab in this corner like <laughs> away from everything else just like hidden beneath grass like you can kind of see it shining because it's got diamonds and like you just kill this crab which is like totally hidden uh, away and if you hadn't kind of scoured the area you would have missed yeah. it and i find that headdress from that that thing and i was like oh okay interesting so i went back there and i i used the headdress and i tried to use a gesture but it wasn't the exact same gesture as the one before so i was like okay i guess this maybe this isn't gonna work maybe it isn't gonna happen and so later down the line i come across this other character who sends me back to the academy to go and find some stuff yes i do a bit of his quest line and i talk to him again and and from him i get this gesture called erudite i think it is and i'm like oh let's check that out and it seems like it's the same gesture that the guy did before the the kind of ghost uh, from that area so I go back there put on the helmet again do the gesture in front of it and wait for a second and behind the statue an ethereal staircase just appears and i'm like holy shit this thing that like if the community wasn't there to tell me what to do i would have never fucking found it because who's going to go into this building that seems just like an empty building yeah. and 
put on this one specific piece of armor and do this one specific gesture in front of this statue uh, to open up this staircase to then you go all the way up to the top of it and you open a chest and you get like two really powerful spells which I'm not using magic and my intelligence is low so I can't use them <laughs> but it's still so cool it's just it like, incredible um, moments like that that happen and uh, I, I didn't know about that that's 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 completely news to me like that's there you go that's oh, it's crazy that's, that's so good the Elden Ring's really good <laughs> it is it's really good um, and so like that that just makes you second guess everything in the game of like well are there other places I can randomly stand and do a gesture and that's going to unlock it um, it's it, yeah it just opens up I think that's the great thing about secrets in games like this is that they open up the possibility space right because like both these moments that we've talked about are moments that like when you see them you're like well anything's possible now like this suddenly this thing that has happened has has just changed the rule book essentially on what you can do um and has just made it like an astonishing like uh thing that you you feel is this endless well of potential um, well, yeah and- it, 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 you feel like, yeah it's, a lot of games feel quite narrow and i think a lot of the problem is is that's it's almost worse for people like us who have been playing games for years because mm-hmm. we're taught that things have to ha- work a certain way yeah i think breath of the world was especially interesting for this because i played a lot of breath of the world without working out its systems like you know, you know the fact that you could put like a sword down and it will conduct electricity because right games yeah. don't normally work like that i know like a lot of immersive sims do stuff like that but like yes. for a zelda game it's really unusual and then then watching my partner player who plays a lot less games like breath of the world was her first like really big 3d sort of adventure game that she played mm-hmm. and watching her trying to brute force solutions and I was just sat there, like watching and being like, "What are you doing? You can't, you can't do it. You can't. Oh, you did it! Like the yeah, amount of times yeah. that happened, and for things to like work the way that you expect them to. Yeah, I think for someone like me who goes, well, they clearly, I could. It's easier for me to see what a game designer wants me to do, and therefore I don't try and work my way around it. Mm-hmm. And then to f- discover these systems, especially like in Breath of the Wild, and be like, "Oh, that works. Oh, that works." And like, it, yeah, it's it's fascinating. And again feels unnecessary right like right, yeah why did they pull this effort in yeah uh, but then it, it shows like in such interesting ways um that it yeah it, it just feels special um are there any other like ones that come to mind to you either like that sort of one or, or any other ones like um oh, we haven't really talked about like secret or alternate endings that's like another kind of oh, yeah. part of secrets in video games i think like is a part of elden ring and tunic and stuff like that but with those games it feels like you know if i finish tunic and i just get the the bad ending i'm like oh okay i'm i'm probably gonna go back and do the rest of it because it feels like that is what it's supposed to be versus yeah. stuff like castlevania games where you know i played symphony of the night and i finished it and i didn't do the inverted castle and i was like i enjoyed that game and then i came back to it a year later and i was like oh let's just do this just to see and there's this whole other game like behind <laughs> it um but yeah oftentimes that happens with certain games where it's like hollow knight for example where that game yeah. has a good amount of secrets as well and and, and all that sort of stuff but yes something good. something about it for me didn't make me want to go and get that harder ending um and I think it just depends on like what your tolerance is for that. Sort no, of stuff. I'm I'm exactly the same. And I think I think that's the thing. I think I think the secrets that are like completely necessary. Like if I basically if I have to Google it, I think it no longer interests me as much as like a secret. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like if I hit right. a point in Hollow Knight and I get that ending and I go, that's a bit underwhelming. And I Google it and I'm like, oh, there's other endings. Yeah. If I can't sort of naturally work out where to do that. Mm-hmm. It doesn't really click in my head as a thing. I think it's the same with like uh, from software games, things like Bloodborne, 
Like, I, in terms of, like, individual secrets, I love all of the stuff in that. Like, there's a whole area that you won't get to if you, unless you do a certain thing, and I did it, and it was great. Yeah. But there's multiple endings in that game, and, like, bosses locked behind those endings. And But I'm not that interested in doing all of that stuff. Like, I think I will right. on another playthrough, but on a first mm-hmm. playthrough, I think that's what gets me. I don't, I don't tend to replay games all that often. Yeah. So yeah. if there's multiple endings, and I don't know about them... I tend to not get whatever the special one is because I tend not to like 100% a game on a first go round. Exactly. And I'll yeah. go back to 100% after I've already sort of not on a net another playthrough. If I can go back to before the final boss or whatever, I'll do it that way. Yeah. And a lot of these games are like, no, 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 you need to start again if you want to do this. And it's like, ah, I, I, I like it. And I, I think for you know people who really appreciate replayability, it's a much bigger deal, right? There's a cool thing of being like, oh, there's so much more to do. Yeah. But, yeah, the moment where I had to Google it and I end up following like a, I don't know, like a game FAQs guide through it, it loses a little bit of the magic that, yeah. that a secret can really give you in a game. Totally. Um, and I, I think, uh, so one of my examples of a secret that I always went after, but was one of those where I always had to Google how the hell to get this, is the older Fire Emblem games. So Fire Emblem on the GBA and Sacred Stones and all those games, they have secret characters in them. And you can't get those secret characters unless you do very specific things that are never really signaled to you um, in clear ways. I think the worst example of this is Fire Emblem 6, which was only in Japan and hasn't been localized yet. Um, oh, wow. there is a there's a sand map uh where you have to there are hidden things in the sand and you know they're just randomly on these tiles and you don't know where they are unless you have a character randomly stand on that tile <laughs> and you get it um there is also a character that is missable that you can't get them unless you finish the map in under a certain amount of turns that the game doesn't tell you about oh, um, and hell. also and also i think you have to have another character in your party in order to get them and that's probably like the nth degree of how complicated it gets in that game but fire emblem games do this a lot where they'll have a character that's on the enemy side and you could just kill them and just miss them and they're just gone for the rest of the game you don't get access to them but if you have someone in your party who like has a previous relationship with them or you know has something that they, they can say or like maybe bribe them with a bunch of money to come out to your side um you're able to add them to your army and i always i I always found that kind of like a bit contradictory for me personally because i generally hate stuff like that and yet i guess because i grew up with fire emblem games and it just became natural to me i was like oh this is cool i like this and it feels like that's lacking in the newer newer games where you kind of just know how to get everybody and it is never obscured at all it's very easy um which yeah it takes a little bit of the magic out of it but also i think it's probably a bit more friendly to the player in a game like that where having as many characters as possible is just makes it easier and is nicer so um, yeah yeah I, well it, it definitely because I, I it is strange because i grew up following like guides i grew up like on like cheat code websites and yeah. reading game faqs for like even when i wasn't like that stuck in games and it's a more sort of recent i say recent when i was a teenager i sort of switched sure. entirely to uh to being like no i don't want to follow a guide actually i want to sort of discover things for myself I think it's. I think that started with like new Pokemon games coming out, and me trying to go into Pokemon games blind without like knowing, basically the new Pokemon because that's right. like I did that for the first time with like X and Y, I think, and it, yeah, th- those games are now way better in my head than I think they would have been beforehand because mechanically, I think so. I don't think they're great, but in terms of like walking into a patch of grass and finding something, it's like oh, oh my god, I've never seen this before in my life. What type is it? What do I need to like? 
so yeah I've, I've gone i've sort of done a full 180 on being like how much i know about a game going in how much i want to mm-hmm. discover by myself yeah for sure yeah I, I had that experience with sword and shield where it was the first time where i was just like i'm not gonna do any of this stuff and uh and then all of a sudden i got to the game and i was like i don't know any of these pokemon and it feels great and i i, I don't <laughs> think i don't think that game's very good generally but i think i liked it a lot more than most people because i had uh, insulated myself and i was like i'm not gonna look at anything right and yeah but you know i for all these other pokemon games i was so embedded in the community side of things that like you know i would be playing the japanese version of the game before it was out in america for like gen 5 and like had all that stuff uh ready to go for like content <laughs> reasons you know and as soon as i was removed from it it allowed me to take a different view on it especially because like once you know the kind of back end of how pokemon works with the evs and breeding and all that stuff it becomes like the most brain dead game possible it's just <laughs> not that to say that pokemon wasn't already easy but it just becomes even easier um a bit of the magic must be lost there like really is, appearing yes. behind the curtain right for sure um, yeah I tell you what, my, the final one that I will bring up actually as being like a secret that really sticks with me is all the Star Road stuff in uh, Super Mario World. I was going to bring this up, yeah, because hidden paths is also a thing we haven't really talked about, like hidden uh, areas of levels that lead to a different exit. It's almost yeah. like a Nintendo thing that I don't see that often in other games. Well, I just I always loved it in Mario World because it was the thing was you knew there was a secret exit. They never hid it because it was a different color icon on the map, right. wasn't it? It was. Yes. Um, See, I'm colorblind, so I'm going to guess. I think, oh, it was okay. red. I think it was red, wasn't it, when there was a secret exit and I think green if like there that. wasn't? Yeah. But, yeah. So you knew there was a secret exit there. So you, and But it was the thing of being like, okay, well, I can come back to this or I can do that. And finding it always felt really good. Like there was there was a real mm. thing of being like, especially I don't, maybe it was because I was a kid when I was playing it. Right. And maybe it, they were really easy to find. But I remember like replaying through levels, trying to work out where the hell like this key would be and then where the the keyhole was and then unlock it yeah it, it was it was that thing where you unlock new levels because of it but if you didn't want to do it or if you never discovered it you finish mario world and that's pretty satisfying it was just a real totally. big bonus at the end and then you got those star road levels which felt weird they felt weird compared to the rest of the game they, they were they were slightly off kilter almost yeah and it felt like you were somewhere where you weren't meant to be and in like a time in my life before I knew how games were made, it felt wrong to be there, and that was right, amazing. Yeah. Like, do you know what like I mean? you've it broken like, through the barrier, yeah, you know, right? So. Like, and and then talking to friends about it, say the same thing, and being like, "Oh, you've never been to Star Road," and like booting up your console and showing them, they'd be like, "What the hell? How would you get there?" Like, yeah, yeah, that there's, yeah, that's where my sort of secret level lies, and that in my mm-hmm. head, that's different to the collectibles in Donkey Kong Country. Yeah, I was just going to say that. I think there's a distinction there because it's something driven by your own curiosity and like being like, oh, I saw this thing. Oh, there must be a way to get there. I've got to figure it out versus, okay, well, I know that in order to get this, I have to collect these things and I have to do it in every other level. That's the other thing, right? The thing with Mario World is like all those hidden parts are like there's one in all the levels. And so you can go in them and be like, okay, I'm just going to do this one regularly. But this one, oh, I found the key. So maybe I can figure out where the the keyhole is. And um, and I, I I also think those levels are short enough and like bite size enough that it makes them much easier to just go back into and replay like there's never a big barrier to that that's part of the reason i think the kirby thing rubbed me a little bit the wrong way is those levels are long and they take a while and there's loading yeah. zones between each area and if you do something at the very beginning and you get the objective have to still finish the whole level to have it count <laughs> so um so yeah the that 
is also I, I i agree on that point i do think that mario world actually does it in in a much smarter better way um that that's great and uh yeah those i remember playing because i played it on wii u and so i had save states and so i almost played those star road levels like a meat boy game where i just like reload every time <laughs> because they were just like really challenging uh things that you went to gauntlets almost of, of yeah different things like using the balloon power up to like float through it uh almost feels like a totally different game right yeah um, well, it's, it's almost it feels almost like the sort of the mario maker stuff right like it yes, felt like yeah. the developers had finished the game had all the tools to make a level and then just started to be like well, what if we just did this well like yeah. regardless of how hard it is because you're like this is not part of the game it doesn't need to be completed so let's just play around with it and yeah there's a real sort of playfulness to them that it's not not there in the main levels but it, yeah they feel different and they felt weird and they, they're all in like the night sky and I, I just remember like that's really stuck with me as being like a, oh this place is weird and cool yeah um just like the elden ring but it's, it's saying yeah. something about the starry skies and just being like i should yeah <laughs> exactly yeah so um yeah I, I think that that makes a lot of sense and uh that stuff will stick with you uh especially if you know if, if you're younger and i think that's kind of the thing with fire emblem with me as well it's like yeah it may not be great uh and there may be some issues to it but i think you know it kind of imprints itself on you and i think that's uh, a lot of the best kind of secret stuff does that so here we go um yeah i, I think we've we've talked a, a good amount around that topic and you know i'm, I'm excited to continue my my journey in, in elden ring and you know breath of wild 2 when it comes out uh, God, which yeah. <laughs> as we know has been delayed now and is going to be next year but uh yeah. i guess the only thing i'm going to say is i'm glad that i don't have to have the elden ring versus breath of wild 2 chat because i didn't want to have that you know frankly um and that is that is genuinely very useful and you know it's gonna it's gonna launch next year alongside the the switch pro you're right of, co- of right? course yeah that's inevitable you definitely have <laughs> happening 100 i believe it um no yeah we'll, we'll see what goes on there but uh you know even the kind of little snippet the extra snippet they showed i was like oh this is exciting there's a little bit new bit of footage and them talking about like okay we're doing the skies but we're gonna go even beyond that and i'm like does that mean we're going underground as well because like zelda fell down a hole so um <laughs> i don't know i feel like this game could be just enormous and uh, that excites me i think part of it is also like going back to the same world like we were talking about is is if you can't really do it a second time no i think that's that's the other part of that's the other part of these games that are built around secrets is you can kind of do them once and then you almost want to wipe your brain of them to have that experience again because you just can't do it uh, another time so tunic's gonna be weird it's like trying to play that a second time around you just fly through it if you've already got all that knowledge like yeah totally uh yeah again i was listening to the bombcast and they were talking about how uh i think jeff gersman started a new game and he said he got uh that gun item before the sword and i'm like uh <laughs> okay so i guess yeah there's there's a lot of sequence breaking you can do i'm sure speed runs again that's another thing speed runs of these games are so fascinating because they are so open uh, and yeah. allow you to do so many different things and you know i need to finish Elden ring so i can go watch those ridiculous 30 minute speed runs that i think have made been made um illegitimate now because they've patched the game to stop certain things but um yeah a lot of interesting things to take a look at well i think that is going to close us out for the show uh matt thanks so much for joining me on this episode well thank you for having me man it's uh it's been an absolute joy it's nice to nice to get lots of nintendo thoughts out of my head and into yeah. the into the world of course yeah absolutely um if people want to find you across the internet where can they go to follow you and your, all your stuff uh oh yeah so on i'm on twitter uh at matt lorigan so m-a-t-t-l-o-r-r-i-g-a-n because no one else has my name so that makes life very easy that's um, a, a nice life to have honestly yeah, yeah, makes yeah. It, makes um it and you can read my stuff over on xboxachievements.com and playstation trophies.org 
Fantastic. Uh, Nintendo need to make one of those uh, achievement things, then you can have another website. <laughs> oh, but yeah, that's what, that's what I'm waiting for. Every Nintendo Direct, I've got... I've NintendoStars.com, uh, right? Yeah. Like, that's going to be a thing. The, 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 web, the, the web domain uh, picker up every time. Right, <laughs> so. yeah. Yeah, you just have to squat on all those potential, like, words they could use for it, just so that you have it. Yeah. Uh, I, you could jump, jump out. Because yeah. I, I saw, when I saw the, you know, they did uh, online missions, didn't they? Yes, I, I read yeah. a headline for that, and I was like, what? Trophies, achievements? It's, it's not. <laughs> no, it's not. It's like, go and get these little things that you create to make your profile picture, essentially, <laughs> uh, which is, you know, uh, it's a, it's, you know it's, a, it's a way to spend your coins if you want to, I guess. I'd rather spend it on, on game stuff, but uh, yeah, go ahead if, if you feel that's the case. Um, fantastic. You can find this show uh, and, and other stuff about it all over the internet. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at LordNBZ, and you can also find the show Twitter at TNL Podcast, where we tweet out stuff that's happening sometimes polls sometimes other things and also has links to our youtube channel and our discord which you should join because there's lots of fun people there chatting about things uh video games uh, lots of people uh talking about triangle strategy in there still um which is uh you know a, a game that has uh, lots of difficulty spikes that people are struggling <laughs> with uh that you know i enjoyed a great deal but uh, you know if you're having trouble uh, head on over there and join the community um obviously you can send emails to our email address this nintendo life at gmail.com and as i mentioned previously we need some more so please send them in or, or again go to the discord and post them over there um and you can find the show in various places we're on spotify uh, we are on stitcher uh, you can download us on any podcasting app that you have find this nintendo life um and rate us i believe on spotify the ratings is on mobile only because i tried to do it on oh, a web platform and i've not been able to figure out how to do it um but yeah i think you have to be on mobile to rate on spotify but if you are if you're a spotify listener that would be great because they added that system and that uh, helps obviously us find some new listeners over there which is fantastic um, and of course if you'd like to support us you can head over to patreon.com slash this nintendo life um, where we do bonus episodes and we talk about non-nintendo games and all that all sort of stuff um, and you can head over there to listen to our ramblings um, and uh, yeah we'd like to thank some of our patrons uh, we also have a brand new patron uh, so thank you to ace who is now supporting the show um, and uh, we also have uh, a new ten dollar tier patron um, and uh, uh, change there as well so our ten dollar tier patrons are zach s atari alex thomas matthew and new patron uh albert uh, whose uh, email we actually read earlier in the show uh, which oh, is fantastic nice. um so thanks albert for the support uh you might have noticed uh the ballet's wife caroline not on the list anymore um obviously they're having a baby uh, <laughs> or they've had a baby um and babies are expensive uh, and all that good stuff so uh, uh she's pulled support for the moment but um yeah i really appreciate all that support over the years um but yeah i gotta tighten those uh, pocket belts uh, as they call them with all the nappies that have to be bought as oh, we mentioned yeah. at the top of the show so um, yeah that's that's very much appreciated but uh, yeah that's that's the update there um, and I think that is just about it um, for the show so um, yeah Matt thanks again uh, for joining me uh, again it was nice to record a, a regular-ish time yeah. uh, in the day um, and uh, yeah uh, good stuff indeed um, yeah so we'll be back uh, in a couple of weeks time I think I will be back next time. I think so. That's that's the plan. But yeah. who knows what will happen? I look forward um, to listening. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I look forward to hearing his thoughts. Uh, he's played some stuff in the meantime, I'm sure, and uh, I'm sure we'll get some stories about Bally Junior and what's going on on that that front. So look forward to it. Uh, and uh, yeah, we'll we'll see you again soon. Uh, thanks for listening, everyone. See you next time. Bye bye, folks.
The musical interludes used on today's show were Moonlight Canyon from Kirby and the Forgotten Land, copyright Nintendo 2022, and Memories of Memories from Tunic, copyright Finji 2022.